My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Roseberry here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... For another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, August 17th, 2011. So today's edition of Fighting for the Faith is dedicated to a singular topic, but it's not a light edition. I I want you to know this is not light. This isn't, well, it's a normal edition, but we're focusing on one topic. Topic... Stephen Furtick. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of Really crazy things being said out there, and, well, we do the comparative work. And we're politically incorrect because we name names and let you hear, uh, well, the person making the claim who's making it. And uh, why? Well, because the Bible, number one, doesn't ever anywhere prohibit you from doing that. And uh, there's a good long tradition of naming heresies after the heretic who is teaching the heresy. Yeah, you know, Pelagianism, taught by Pelagius. Uh, Marcionite heresy taught by Marcius. Arian heresy taught by Arius. You know, so we just follow into that uh, tradition, that long-standing tradition of uh, Christian history. And if somebody's teaching heresy, well, yeah, we don't have a problem uh, letting you know that who it is be teaching it and, and uh, why you need to be avoiding it. So, uh, yeah, it, it gets me in hot water every now and then. But, hey, that's just part of what goes along with the territory. So... Today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, uh, like I said at the at the beginning of the program, we're going to be dealing with a singular topic today, and we're going to be talking about Stephen Furtick. And uh, we're going to break this into two pieces, and if you're not familiar with uh, Stephen Furtick's uh, recent, uh, most recent appearance, he uh, was up in the Chicago area this past weekend, and he uh, d- delivered the sermon at uh, Harvest Bible Chapel, uh, Harvest, yeah, anyway, at, up at Harvest. <laughs> Uh, James McDonald's church. 
And uh, James McDonald, uh, we've played some audio uh, sound bites of uh, James McDonald uh, interacting with some of the seeker-driven guys and the things that they've been up to, like Perry Noble. They, they, over the summer, they had the uh, the um, Elephant in the Room conference, and uh, you know they had Mark Driscoll, uh, James McDonald, they had. Uh, Stephen Furtick, Perry Noble, and anyway, if I sound redundant, it's because my brain is, I'm working on two tracks at the moment. I, I got to focus one track, one track. Anyway, so, uh, and uh, James McDonald, I think, has um, gotten to know Stephen Furtick personally and uh, felt comfortable enough to have him preach at Harvest this past weekend. And uh, one uh, one blogger in particular, her name is Erin Benziger, and uh, sh- uh, she runs the Revelation 22-20.blogspot.com blog, and uh, and uh, she does some freelance work for uh, CARM, that's the uh, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, and uh, anyway, she uh, she attended. Uh, she, she used to attend the Harvest Bible Chapel there, and uh, if she was there for a few years, and uh, she decided that since uh, Stephen Verdick was in town that she would go and attend. And she actually blogged about it. And if you would like to read her uh, eyewitness account of uh, you know being there, uh, then you can find that at her blog. And what I'm going to do here the first hour is I'm going to play for you an interview that I recorded earlier today with Aaron um, discussing – her, uh, her, you know, her attendance at Stephen Furtick's appearance and uh, and sermon, and um, I, I also took the opportunity to play some sound bites from a recent documentary that Elevation Church uh, released about Stephen Furtick. And uh, in fact, that's kind of the problem is is that it's all about Stephen Furtick. So what we're going to do do in the interview, talk about what Stephen preached about. Talk about her impressions as an eyewitness to uh, you know to Stephen Furtick's appearance there at Harvest. Um, I'm going to play some sound bites from the recently released documentary all about Elevation Church, and then in hour number two, what we're going to do is we're going to review Stephen Furtick's sermon that he preached at uh, Harvest this past weekend. And uh, you got to tell you, um, something is seriously, seriously off and wrong. Uh, because, uh, well, you, you'll kind of get the idea here. It, the, the sermon's really all about Stephen. And, and to demonstrate this point, what I'm going to be doing during the sermon review today is uh, is actually uh, putting a timer on Stephen Furtick. Yeah, that's right. I'm actually going to put a, a timer on him. And every single time during the sermon that, uh, that he is, uh, well, teaching about himself— I'm going to play this bell, and what I'm going to do, that bell signifies that uh, I'm now going to turn on a timer. I'm going to keep track of how much time in the sermon Stephen Furtick preaches about himself, and then when he mentions Jesus and preaches about Jesus, you'll hear again another, uh, you know, the bell, and then we'll we'll keep track, and we're going to come up with a number at the end of all of this. How, how much time did Stephen Furtick spend preaching about himself? As opposed to preaching about Jesus Christ, and uh, and well, in you'll you'll kind of get the idea here uh, as to what's going on. Plus, we will also take some time to evaluate his handling of uh, the biblical text to see if he's if he rightly handled God's word in his appearance at uh, at harvest. Now, here's the deal: I I'm sure that uh, James McDonald uh, has the best of intentions and feels comfortable with Stephen Furtick. He, it sounds like he's, he's met him and, 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 his, and, uh, and, and Stephen's wife, Holly, and he just 
believes that they're humble folks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's uh, that's fine and all, but um, whether or not somebody's humble does not qualify them to appear in the pulpit. Uh, what qualifies somebody to appear in the pulpit is rightly handling God's word. Somebody who's studied and shown himself approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, but rightly handles the word of truth or rightly cuts the word of truth. And um, and unfortunately, uh, Stephen Furtick did not properly handle God's word in uh, his appearance at the Harvest Bible Chapel. And we're going to take the time to demonstrate uh, what he did do with the biblical text and why that is not a right handling of God's word. So, uh, you know, grab some popcorn, uh, fuzzy bunny slippers, make yourself comfortable. If you want to enjoy an adult beverage, we don't have a problem with that. Keep in mind that there is a biblical prohibition against drunkenness. You don't want to take that gift uh, to the point where you're, you know, sinning with it or, you know, becoming enslaved to alcohol, which is a gift from God. And that just seems silly being enslaved to a gift. Anyway, of course, you want to listen while on the treadmill or at work. Keep in mind that uh, fighting for the faith has been scientifically proven to decrease productivity. So you got to keep that in mind. So with that, we're going to dive into the program proper. And here is uh, the first part of my uh, my telephone interview with Erin Benziger uh, discussing her. Well, she was an eyewitness you know, to what happened this, this past weekend at Harvest Bible Chapel. Here we go. All right. On the line, I have Erin Benziger, and uh, she is a uh, the person who runns the Revelation22-20.blogspot.com blog, and she's also a freelance apologetics writer for CARM. That's the uh, Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, and she was rec- and this past weekend she was at uh, Harvest Bible Chapel, uh, James McDonald's church, when uh, when Stephen Furtick was there preaching. Uh, Aaron, thanks for coming on, fighting for the faith. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. Okay, so I I saw that you gave an eyewitness report uh, to uh, to Furtick's appearance at uh, Harvest Bible Chapel and um, th- initial impressions. Uh, you know what 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 did you see when you were there? Well, I saw what I saw was really probably fairly typical of Harvest. I used to attend there, so um, you know a lot of it didn't surprise me. Big crowd, really loud music. Um, Actually, what was really interesting to me was while I was sitting waiting for the service to start, there were actually quite a few people who didn't know who Stephen Furtick was. Um, I heard conversations around me, you know, who is this Stephen Furtick? Has he preached here before? Do you know who this is? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in my head I'm thinking, oh, boy, just you wait. And uh, <laughs> and then it was it was interesting to compare those from before the service and then after the service when I was leaving, people, I just heard, you know, under their breath just muttering, wow, that was amazing. Um, you know, they were just kind of in awe of this man-child preacher. Oh, okay. So he, he, he came off really well then to the crowd there at Harvest. Oh, definitely, yeah. He went over uh, very well, big hit. Um, you know, he's, he seems to be a likable guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I don't know him personally, but he's very dynamic, very charismatic. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm sure if you would talk to him in person and not say anything negative towards him, he'd probably be, be a very likable guy. Um, you know, so he's a good communicator, and, and I think people who aren't listening with a discerning ear just kind of get caught up in the emotion and the excitement that he 
generates, and, and that's exactly what he did on Sunday morning. Okay, yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I've seen him uh, in person. I've actually uh, talked with him against his will. It didn't go very well, but <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and I've seen him. I've seen him in person, and uh, I, I, I I've seen all the same things that you have. I mean, this guy. Uh, I mean, he could read out of the phone book and like you know hold the entire audience captive to how well he read the, you know the uh, the phone book. I mean, I, I think he's that gifted of a communicator. Now, there's a, there's a couple of things I want to talk about here in in his appearance, and I, I'm of the opinion that uh, James McDonald inviting Stephen Furtick to preach at his church is is as bad of a gaffe as uh, John Piper. Uh, befriending uh, Rick Warren and doing the things that he's been doing with Rick Warren. And the reason I say this is because as somebody who's been a, 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 a an observer, uh, you know, somebody who's studied Stephen Furtick for really going on, you know, four or five years now, um, I, uh, this is a guy who, uh, well, let's just say, I, I, he, I think he preaches about himself. Now you heard the sermon. Uh, how do you, how well did he do? Uh, how well did he do at actually handling God's word? And who do you think the sermon was about? Yeah, the sermon was most definitely about Stephen Furtick. Yeah. Um, that's actually why I entitled my blog post The Stephen Furtick Show, because uh-huh. in my sermon notes, if you can call it that, um, when he started talking, he read the scripture, which was First Samuel 14, verses 1 through 7, um, focused on the first two words, and then went into you know a five-plus-minute diatribe of Stephen Furtick and how he got saved and how God gave him this vision for his church and, and mm-hmm. on and on and on. Um, yeah. And all I could write down in my notes was the Stephen Furtick show. because <laughs> just kind of summed it up. Um, the, the sermon for 40 minutes went back and forth um, from him repeating a couple of words in the scripture and then applying it to how, how it was illustrated in his life. So we were really supposed to, by the end of the sermon, I think, um, be motivated by Stephen Furtick's success and and what he has done, and that could be us too. Yeah. Um, one of the things, yeah, I'm gonna, by the way, I'm going to be reviewing the sermon in, in its entirety uh, uh, during our sermon review time here at Fighting for the Faith. And one of the things I'm going to be doing to kind of demonstrate your point is uh, is every time he starts to talk about himself, I'm actually going to put a timer on him, and I'm going to calculate the number of minutes that Stephen Furtick preaches about Stephen Furtick, and any time he preaches about Jesus, I'll put a timer on that, and I'll keep a running tally of how many total minutes uh, the sermon went and how many total minutes he preached about Stephen Furtick and how many uh, he said that he uh, well that he preached about Jesus because uh, over and again I hear Stephen Furtick talk about how important it is for him to uh you know to take people who are far from God and introduce them to Jesus and uh, I feel like he takes people who are far from God and keeps them as far away as possible because he doesn't really ever introduce them to Jesus he introduces them to Stephen Furtick um do you think that's a fair assessment Oh absolutely no I would agree with you 100% that's uh, I'm often confused because he sounds so Christian and evangelistic when you see little clips of him. Yeah, he just wants to get people closer to God and, and, you know, like you say, introduce him to Jesus. And then when you hear him speak, it is Stephen Furtick. And it's not even how Jesus changed Stephen Furtick. It's strictly 
Stephen Furtick. Yeah, it's it's so, how Stephen that, Furtick. That would be an interesting tally to see. I actually considered going through and counting like the eyes and the me's and the my's, and <laughs> I just didn't have it in me to do it. So. Well, you know, here here's the deal. Purpose-driven churches, and uh, Stephen Furtick has made it perfectly clear that, uh, you know, he, he, you know, before he launched um, uh, Elevation Church, that he and his staff, his launch team, uh, read, you know, and, and, and studied very carefully the Purpose-Driven Church book. And, uh, you know, and, and so they count everything. They count nickels. They count noses. I mean, every every single Sunday they could tell you exactly how many people were there, including how many people, how many children, and, and that includes the people in the children's ministry. But uh, yeah, I think it would be important if we actually did some metrics on Stephen Furtick to see how much he really preaches about himself as opposed to Jesus. I think I, I, I liked your idea of counting the eyes. I, 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 I. That might be a good metric. I mean, uh, yeah, I think it's time that we start coming up with some good metrics for these purpose-driven guys, and I think that will be a good one. How many eyes are in their sermon? You know. Yeah, I'd like to see that added in next year's annual report there that he's got on the website. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll be sure to make sure that uh, I'll tweet Stephen Furtick, even though he's blocked me. I, I can't see his tweets. Um, I'll be sure to send out a tweet inviting him to uh, consider these new metrics uh, for his particular church. Okay, so here's a question I have for you. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I have professional respect for James McDonald in this capacity, and that is, is that having listened to you know maybe a dozen or so James McDonald sermons, one of the things I've noticed about him, even though he has a mega church is that he makes a concerted effort to actually do some expository exegetical preaching and and uh, you know and uh, the, the, it seems like the folks there at Harvest Bible Chapel still feel it's important to bring their bibles to uh, to church and to take notes and things like that um uh, but I'm a little concerned that I think he's drifting and uh, my question for you is if you had to guess, having having you know attended uh, Harvest Bible Chapel for a couple of years, you've seen some of the changes that are going on there uh, with Pastor McDonald. Um, why do you think he, he he's invited uh, Stephen Furtick to preach there? Yeah, you know, I all I can give is my opinion on that, Chris. And quite honestly, and I don't mean to denigrate James McDonald at all, because you know, like you say, I, I share that same respect because he does try to, or at least in the past, you know, preach expositorily and, and um, you know, open God's Word. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really started to see uh, kind of this hunger for the celebrity, maybe. Um, and that was kind of one of the, the things that started me thinking about leaving initially when I left a couple years ago. And, um, you know, Stephen Furtick's a rock star, and... Um, you know, he appeals to the masses, and mm-hmm. um, I, part of me thinks that that was enticing and appealing to, to bring him into the church. Um, something else that I heard this weekend that really concerned me, um, and you'll hear it if you're doing the sermon review later, is um, just this even just um, encouraged everyone to almost, um, this is my words, this isn't what he said, but it was almost like pledge allegiance to um, James McDonald and to Harvest Bible Chapel. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I caught that focus too. focus on, um, you know, just kind of this undying allegiance to your leader. And um, 
that was a little scary to me. You know, I mean, I'm I'm all for being supportive of your church and of your pastor, of course, but um, not at the expense of God and His Word. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I see that in Stephen Furtick's ministry. I see that undying allegiance by the people on his staff and the members. You know, he has that code that they all have to abide by, and um, it seems he has this core team that travels with him everywhere. They came with him to Harvest this weekend, and um, it felt like he was kind of trying to bring that even into um, into Harvest and kind of start spreading that mentality, and um, that's, that's kind of a, a trend that I've seen looking from the outside in mm-hmm. um, in the past couple of months. I've seen that kind of been slowly seeping into harvest, kind of a, you know, we need to be far more dedicated to the institution of harvest and its leader. Hmm. And, um, you know, so that that could be just pure speculation on my part, but I, I sensed a little bit of this, you know, bring Stephen Furtick in and fire him up to, to get this allegiance going. Hmm. Okay. That, that see that's as somebody who really hasn't actually been in the congregation and and had a chance to really talk with people there. Uh, that I that's that's analysis I would pretty much miss completely. So I appreciate uh, you know your kind of insider view of 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 that. Now I, I want to switch gears with you and I, I and uh, the other thing you did is you sent me a tweet a few days ago uh, inviting me to watch a documentary video that has that is on the internet for free for just a few more days um, about the the elevation uh, the story of how Elevation Church got planted and it's uh, it's another example of the so-called Stephen Furtick show and um, I, I, I got to tell you I was officially creeped out. Um, after watching this video, so I, I'm blaming you for the nightmares that I've been having for the past couple of days. But oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, <laughs> I had to share it with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I want to play a couple of sound bites, uh, some sections from this. That, uh, that and uh, and you can watch it for free right now, still uh, at uh, the Elevation Church's website. It's 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 a documentary movie about how Elevation Church got started, and, and immediately. One of the things that struck me is is that the, the this documentary itself it seems a little bit on the premature side, and the reason I say that is is that I've seen documentaries like this produced for like the History Channel for you know like the Civil Rights Movement, talking about uh, Martin Luther uh, King Jr. or you know or you know some some important leader like you know President Eisenhower and things like this. Elevation Church planted back in 2005, and here it is 2011, six years later, and already we've got a documentary film all about how they got started. It just seems narcissistic to me. Oh, yeah, narcissistic and prideful. Those were the, the first two words that came to mind. Yeah. I. <laughs> okay, so I, I – and what I found interesting is, is that – um, in fact, I'll kind of tell you my take on it, and then I'll kind of demonstrate it from the sound bites I want to play for you and get your interaction with it. Um, is that as I watched this, it was weird because my que- my question in my notes is, does Stephen Furtick think he's the Messiah? That was the question I wrote down, and the reason I asked that is because I, I I noticed the documentary itself mimics in certain particulars uh like the life of jesus christ for instance um jesus christ um you know hears the voice of god when he's baptized by john the baptist 
and he goes and he f- fasts for 40 days in the wilderness. Well, wouldn't you know it, Stephen Furtick also heard the voice of God, and prior to the launch of uh, of Elevation Church, he fasted for 40 days. Kind of weird, you know? Um, mm-hmm. Je- Jesus fed the 5,000, and, you know, and that was a miracle supporting the fact that he was truly uh, the Son of God. Stephen Furtick, he dropped the 50,000, and what I mean by that is the 50,000 Easter eggs, and that's presented in the video over and over and again. All these events in the history of Elevation Church are presented by his disciples, not him, by his disciples as proof that he is a, a man who's heard of who's heard the voice of God. And it, it's it's like it's like he's he's Jesus. The way this thing is 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 uh, is presented, it, it, uh, that's why I was officially creeped out. To it. Now, do you think I, I'm overstating what uh, that video is presenting? Oh, not at all. No, not at all. I I agree with you 100. percent It was um, it was just mind boggling when I started watching it, and it, it just you know the the dedication of these people to yeah, just extolling Stephen and and you know really talking about his quote unquote miracles of of bringing elevation to where it is today. Right, yeah, and no, I, yeah. The other thing I thought was interesting is is that he constantly refers to. The, what he, this vision that he's got from God to take the city of Charlotte, and you know, I, it's like I, I, I don't have a soundbite for this, but uh, it's I, I expect the Bible to be rewritten so that rather than us hearing about the children of Israel and Joshua and the city of Jericho, we're going to hear about Stephen Furtick, the children of Elevation Church, and them marching around Charlotte, North Carolina, with trumpets of ram's horns and taking the city. I mean, that's the way this thing is presented. It, it's... Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so I just want to make sure I'm not officially crazy. I may be crazy, but not officially. So, okay, let me. No, not officially, not on that point. Okay, good. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was my take on this. Now, I'm going to play for you. I'm going to play for the, this first section is is just kind of the opening statements. These this is like in the first minute of this documentary video, and uh, and it, it 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 this sets the tone for the whole thing. So here, let me play the soundbite. It's it's not that long, but uh, you know, and then we'll talk about it. Here we go. I don't remember when he wasn't making noise. He had this innate ability um, to set goals and and achieve them. And I remember hearing him pray, this kid with the orange hair, and I thought, this kid is different. God is all over his life. He can captivate uh, grown people, and, and they sit there and listen to him intently. But I just never seen one come along like Stephen. And the crazy thing is, the uh, 80-year-olds uh, love him, and the uh, 4-year-olds love him. Okay, now that sets the tone for this whole thing. Uh, they're not talking about Jesus. They're they're talking about Stephen Furtick. Yeah, and that and and those truly are the opening seconds of this documentary that is supposedly about Elevation Church. Um, but yeah, like I say, that's what's setting the tone. That just blew me away when I hit play, and those were the first things I heard. <laughs> <laughs> my jaw was my jaw was on my desk. I'm going. I can't believe what I'm hearing. <laughs> you know, immediately what came to my mind was John the Baptist talking about Jesus, and John the Baptist said, "He, Jesus, must increase, 
and I must decrease. Have we come to the day where in the Christian church Jesus must decrease and the vision-casting innovative pastor must increase? Is that what this has come to? It seems like it in some churches, doesn't it? I think that's what we're getting to. Yeah, with these with men like Burdick. Okay, now next this next uh, this next uh, soundbite is uh, just so everybody knows this is his wife. Now I'm not dissing Stephen Furtick's wife. I just want you to hear what she says about Stephen, and this this idea is actually uh, carried on and, and you know said by other folks who helped plant Elevation Church. But I think she says it the most clearly here. Here is uh, Holly Furtick talking about her, her husband who hears from God. Here, here we go. So Stephen and I had this conversation one day. All right, we're done. We're leaving Shelby. We're going to go start this church. And so, of course, he needs somebody to, like, be his right-hand man because for all of the strengths that he has that are um, spiritual and hearing from God and getting a vision and casting that vision, um, he knew that he needed help in actually carrying out this vision uh, um now real quick uh, do you know of any passages in the bible that say that pastors are supposed to receive visions from god and then cast that vision to uh to the masses you know chris i don't know of any offhand i haven't finished my graduate studies yet so you know maybe they're hiding in there but uh, <laughs> i'm thinking that's just not in there um, but this this seems to be a theme with Stephen. Yeah. I noticed that on Sunday. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if he actually thinks he's hearing from God or not. Uh, he didn't specify whether he's hearing audible voices or he thinks other people are hearing audible voices. But um, if he doesn't believe that, he needs to clean up his language um, because the way that he's presenting is that he's hearing from God and he thinks other people can hear from God. And... Um, Something, something that I thought was interesting, which, again, you'll, you'll catch in the sermon later, is that he got up there and said when, when teachers get up and they say that we've heard from God and we're 100%, you know, we, we believe that this is what God wants us to do. What we're really saying is that I'm about 55 to 65% sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's not even 100% sure that it's really God, but, um, but yet he's casting this vision to the masses, as you say. Yeah, it, it's, it's just strange. I mean... I thought that the mission and vision of the church were actually, well, to use the relevant term, cast by Jesus himself just prior to his ascension into heaven. You know, when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples in the, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them, you know, you know to obey all that I have commanded you. I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. That almost sounds like a mission vision statement. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I don't, I don't, it, it, I, as a student of the Bible, as a student of church history, never have I ever seen uh, in the ancient church the concept that the pastor is supposed to receive a specific vision from God, cast that vision. It, it, it sounds almost like witchcraft. I'm sorry, but it does. Um, and that people are supposed to unite behind that vision and then help make that happen. I, I've never heard of such a thing. No, I, I haven't either. It's it's this cult mentality almost, and it's really kind of scary the way that that's coming into quote unquote Christian churches. And you know, I think it's interesting that they say in that documentary that they went through the Book of Acts before yeah. they. Um, you know, before they started this church, and 
I don't know. I read the Book of Acts, and I I just don't see this vision casting in there. So I Mm-mm. I don't. I yeah. guess that happens maybe when you meld it with the purpose driven church or something, but um, it's not in the scripture. Okay, we are going to pause this uh, interview right there, and we're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so on my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Reaching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Welcome to Build a God. How can I help you? Hello, I received a Build a God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you. Oh, it really is. Okay, let's get started. The first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway. She has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just... Angry, righteous, wrathful. The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now, is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? You know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay affirming. And sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is too. Oh, wonderful. Your goddess is coming along beautifully. Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes, my goddess would let everyone go to heaven. Except for Hitler, Genghis Khan, and good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent, excellent. Now for the final step, you have to name your goddess. Hmm. I think... I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god. Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be in pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. 
Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzmann's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. All right, we're back. Warning, the Bible's not about you. Or it's not even about your pastor. It's about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. You need to preach him, not your pastor. Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see two friendly yellow buttons One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 460. Three eight and thank you, thank you, thank you for your support in making fighting for the faith possible uh, to to come to you and to the world. All right, uh, let's uh, continue now with the balance of my interview with Aaron Benziger of the Revelation twenty two dash twenty dot blogspot dot com blog. That's a mouthful. Here we go. I completely agree. I, 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 we have three pastoral epistles. We have First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus. And when you read uh, the writings of the ancient church fathers, they made it clear that First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus were used for ecclesiastical practice to, you know, to govern the the uh, the pastors and, and the, those who were, you know, workers in the church. You know, the the elders and the deacons and 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 stuff like that. Those those were how they were governed. And nowhere do I see in the pastoral epistles that a, a pastor is supposed to get a direct vision from God. I, I at times when I you know when I talk privately with people about Stephen Furtick, I always refer to him as the prophet Stephen Furtick, the man who hears from God, Stephen Furtick. But um, here's the deal. Um, I've heard from God, and and I, I hear him with my eyes when I read the scriptures. And, uh, you know, I, I don't need a v- vision from God or anything like that. I mean, God's will is pretty clearly laid out for me and you, and it's all in black and white. And I don't need a vision-casting pastor to, you know, somehow whip me into a frenzy to help make his particular vision come around. And you're right. It does sound very cult-like, you know, cult-like. In you know everybody's getting behind Stephen Furtick, right? Yeah, everyone's like you say, getting behind him. They're not getting behind 
Jesus Christ. They're not getting behind God's Word. It's Stephen Furtick and a vision that nobody else has seen. Right. Or heard, and, and we're just taking his word for it. And, you know, for all we know, he just had a bad piece of pepperoni on his pizza the night before, you know, and right. got this vision. But, um, and, and then and, and then in the documentary, like I said, you know, all these different things take place. I mean, uh, you know, they, they they had all of these hiccups regarding the the you know the Easter egg drop where they're going to drop these Easter eggs out of uh, a helicopter. They had all these problems. The mailer had gotten stuck on a truck somewhere, and and you know they they took some initiative and made some flyers and went to Walmart to invite people to this, and they weren't even sure if anybody was going to show up. And so it's a miracle that all these people showed up. But I'm going to play that for you in a second here. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me first play. Let, let me first play this section right here. It's a, it's you know, again, it's not that long where they talk about Stephen Furtick and his 40 day fast, which I think is significant because Jesus himself also had a 40 day fast. It's again, it's it's weird. Like they're presenting Stephen Furtick as if he's the Messiah. Listen, listen in. I remember the first time that I really started to develop a deep, like resounding respect for Pastor Stephen and for his leadership. Um, was when we were launching the church and he was going through a 40-day fast. He came to me and he said, I think I'm going to fast for the first weekend, the launch of Elevation. And I, you know, I was like, okay. So then Sunday afternoon after church came and he said, I think I'm going to keep fasting. I may fast for like three days. I don't know, maybe seven days, but I feel like the Lord wants me to keep fasting. He kind of just got two days in and decided to extend it to three and then extend it to 40. That was a very long 40 days in our house. So I kept asking myself, how much more can this guy do? He's driving to Greenville, South Carolina once a week to go to seminary. Several times a semester, he's going to Louisville, Kentucky to, to take his classes and turn in projects. He's researching papers every single day. He's taking exams. He's planning a church. He's just finished a 40-day fast and they have a brand new baby in the house. It was a difficult time in his life. It, it sounds like Stephen Furtick just won up to Jesus. I mean, poor Jesus. He wasn't even married when he was tempted you know, in the wilderness while he was fasting for 40 days. I mean, and, he, and Jesus wasn't going to seminary either. I mean, so here we got Stephen Furtick. Not only did he fast for 40 days, he had a brand new baby, and he was going to two different schools at the same time. And so there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, he seems to be... Uh doing a little bit better than Jesus, I guess, in that in that sense. Yeah. Uh, more of a He-Man, it almost sounds like. Spiritual <laughs> He-Man or something. Right. It, again, the, the the comment starting off that bite was, you know, I have this deep and profound respect for Stephen Furtick. I thought the job of a pastor is to proclaim Christ and him crucified for our sins. I mean, here's the deal. The, the, the Apostle Peter, I mean... Not, I don't want to diss Stephen Furtick, but uh, Stephen Furtick, as far as I know, still hasn't walked on water. Peter has. And uh, you know, Peter really spent all of his ministry after uh, Pentecost proclaiming Christ and him crucified for our sins, and, uh, and, and he himself is an eyewitness to the fact that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. This video, I'm watching all of these eyewitnesses to, well, apparently the fact that Stephen Furtick is a man of God. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, one miracle of Stephen Furtick after another is really what the, the documentary comes across as. And um, it, it's really, it's 
it's sad to see someone who calls himself a pastor. I mean, it's sad to me to to see this this man who should be pointing others to Jesus Christ and who could have such influence. I mean, you can see just, um, you know, by listening to these people, the like they say, the deep, profound respect that they have for him, if he would only point them to Jesus Christ, right? what an amazing impact that would be. Right. You know, it's, yeah. It's he he's he's made himself famous. I mean, yeah, he has. I mean, wow. But uh, you know, poor Jesus. I mean, you know, it, I'm sure that if there was a rock and roll concert, Jesus would open for Stephen Furtick, don't you think? Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah he might get a mention. Oh, that's good. Know. Yeah, because I mean, he does. Jesus does get a mention, a couple of mentions in the sermon we're going to be reviewing today. Now, again, kind of more proof about this idea. Of the kind of the way I the way I view this video, it's all about Stephen Furtick, the guy who hears from God directly. He went up to Jesus because he did more than Jesus when he fasted for forty days, and and then now here's one of the miracles that prove that that Stephen Furtick really is the man of God. This is the uh, the Elevation Church's uh, helicopter Easter egg uh, drop story. L- listen in the way I mean, this is presented as a miracle. Listen. We really, we weren't even planning like a big Easter event of any kind or anything. We had, you know, 150 people probably, if that, coming on the on the Sunday, the month before Easter. You know, very young. We've been doing Sunday mornings for, what, six weeks maybe. And this thought came to mind, we should do something really crazy with Easter eggs. What if we got a helicopter and, and dropped eggs out of the sky? <laughs> We decided to get as many people possible to show up to a football field with 50,000 eggs, most of them dropped from a helicopter onto the field with prizes, candy, and a few of them would have a little coin in there that was redeemable for one of our grand prizes, like a TV or an Xbox. That's all it was. I remember very vividly when they were planning the egg drop. We sat there as a staff and by the time we left, Chunks had given his financial blessing. We cleared the account for the egg drop, bought 50,000 eggs and dropped them from the helicopter. I felt it was irresponsible for him to spend that kind of money on an egg drop. And, uh, and we did it. We put all of our marketing efforts into two things. We advertised on the radio on KISS 95.1, and we had a big mass mail piece that was supposed to hit all the mailboxes the Thursday before Easter. My husband had a a speaking engagement and Elijah and I went with him. We flew to Florida. I think we were in Panama City. We were gone the whole week leading up to the egg drop. Well, we found out on Friday that those mail pieces were stuck on some truck and they weren't going to hit until Tuesday. Larry Bry picked Stephen and I up at the airport. Stephen got to pause here for a second. I mean, the whole flow of the story is almost like the story of the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, here you have Jesus concerned, you know, trying to, you know, care for the people that were there. And and he says, we need to feed these people. And the disciples are all, what are we going to do? And one of them says, well, we've got like, you know, four fish and some loaves of bread. But what is that going to do? I mean, it's, it's kind of that the way the story is told, it has almost that feel to it. Yeah, it does. It seems... It- Definitely seems to mirror that, um, minus the uh, preaching, of course. But, <laughs> right, yeah. 
Yeah, it has this. It definitely has a very similar feel. I okay. agree with you. Okay, so let, let, let's continue with the 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 dropping of the fifty thousand. This is what I've termed this particular miracle. And Elijah and I up at the airport, and I remember we got in the car and we had this all little you know small talk conversation. How's everything going? Um, everything with the egg drop gonna go good? Yeah. The big mailer that was supposed to hit thousands and thousands and thousands of homes telling them about the Easter egg drop was stuck on a truck somewhere. So Larry says, well, Pastor, we've had an issue with the mailer, and for whatever reason, it's not going to get in people's mailboxes before the egg drop. Pastor was depressed. We were clearing the bank account to do the Elevation egg drop. I remember we had $32,000 in the bank account, and the Elevation egg drop cost $31,000. You could just feel the devastation in the car. It was all our chips pushed to the middle of the table, and our biggest promotional piece wasn't going to happen. My husband was about to have a heart attack because we put all this money into this event, and we had no idea if anybody was going to show up. Pastor went home, and he, he ate a whole bag of Oreos. He was depressed. I think he ate the Oreos, and the sugar rush might have got him motivated. He, he came over to my house. He said, let's go. I said, what are we going to do? Stephen said, all right, we're going to print up a bunch of flyers and we're going to go hit Walmart parking lots. We went to Kinko's, ran off 500 copies and handed out flyers in the Walmart parking lot till it got dark. All he knew was he was going to do everything he could do to make the event a success. Whenever we do events like this, um, Stephen will start to ask me, are people going to come? And the next morning, it just the people just started pouring in. Uh, here, here comes the miracle part. Let me continue. One person after another, the bleachers, the stands started filling up. There were all these cars there and all these children everywhere. And I thought, how did all these people hear about this? How does this happen? There are thousands of Easter eggs falling out of a helicopter in southeast Charlotte. The Charlotte Easter egg hunt ended on the ground, but it started in the sky. A helicopter dropped 50,000 Easter eggs. And they came, and they came, and they came, and it was crowded. Elevation Church used the helicopter to drop 50,000 Easter eggs, and the children went wild. It was so crowded, and it was so exciting. It was the first um, really exciting crowd that we had had. I was in the parking lot, and we had planned for some cars to be here and some people to come, but the first car came, the second car came. People started coming and kept coming. And kept coming. My boss came, his family came. I was coaching a little kid's soccer team. All the kids from the soccer team came. Their parents came, their families came. There were so many people there. It just, the, the whole stadium was full. I was blown away by how we pulled it off. We were expecting a good amount of people, but I don't think we were expecting as many people who actually showed up. That day was amazing. Um, there was a lot of people, and I remember we were so excited because people having a park so far away, and there was lines to get in. And they just kept coming, and before you knew it, we were across the street parking people. Even my family can go back and say, yeah, know. you know, we were there. We, were, we remember that. When are y'all going to do it again? And they ask, are y'all going to drop the eggs again? Yeah. <laughs> we were there when they dropped the eggs. I mean, it was a life-changing event. <laughs> well, um, you know, depending on your perspective, I guess it could be. I, I I just I, again it's it's the it's the feeding of the five thousand in in modern day terms and Stephen Furtick he, well, of course he's the man of God who's heard the voice of God and and this miracle proves it. 
Well, and, and I don't know who it was in the video, but someone emphasized, you know, that he was going to do everything he could to make sure that this happened. And it, yeah. you know, all praise and honor go to Stephen Furtick for getting the 50,000 eggs dropped and getting everybody there to gather their prizes. Right. It, and I'm looking at this and I'm going, that's not a miracle. That's marketing. I mean, it, yeah, it, exactly. It, I don't. Cons- well, they even call it a promotional event. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the reality is, is that, uh, you know, it's not that hard to draw a crowd if you have a compelling enough event and a big enough marketing budget. I mean, and, and you know, and here these people are saying, oh, man, I was there when they did the egg drop. <laughs> and. And you know what's funny is is that the apostle Peter and John and those guys would say we were there when Jesus was raised from the dead. We touched his hands and his feet and his side and we ate with him after he was raised from the dead. And they were always pointing everybody to Jesus, but this video just keeps pointing everybody back to Stephen Furtick. Back to Stephen Furtick. You know, I think of uh Peter, you know, even saying um, you know, how he witnessed the transfiguration. Yeah. But yet points people back to the Word of God, and yeah. even more certain thing than that, you yeah. know, um, a more sure, and, a and more sure thing, pointing people back to himself. And as far as I know, there was no preaching of the Word of God. It was just the, the miracle of the dropping of the fifty thousand. Yeah, the the miracle of the dropping of the fifty thousand. <laughs> so I'm sure the folks there, at you Ellen... know, they really do seem to attribute their their growth and their success really to that one moment. You know, it really seemed to explode from that moment on. Right, yeah, that was the definitive miracle. And now I'm thinking, is that what they did at Pentecost? I, I missed that. I didn't see that. No, no. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, my reading of uh, the Bible and church history and is that Christians from the beginning have been obsessed about telling everybody about Jesus and everybody here in this this video and what I hear about Stephen Furtick are obsessed about telling everybody about Stephen Furtick, and Jesus gets honorable mention. Like I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that uh, Stephen Furtick would let Jesus open for him if he had a rock concert. But I, I, I think that's about it. You know, it, you, we'd want to get Jesus off the stage pretty quickly so that we can talk about Stephen. Oh yeah. Yeah, he'd have to be ushered off pretty quickly, and I'm not even sure he'd be allowed to open at every venue in every city. Mm. Just half. Yeah, well, yeah, because you know Jesus, I mean, is not exactly that relevant. So. Well, exactly. Yeah, he can't draw the crowds. <laughs> yeah, he had a he had a way of kind of driving away crowds. I mean, if you read John chapter six, he drove a whole bunch of people away by saying such icky things like, "If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood." You you don't have you cannot be saved and people went ew and they left and uh, and they left and he's left with twelve and one of them is the devil so <laughs> right so okay so all right I, so I'm not exactly crazy I may be I may be crazy but you know it, at least other people like yourself are seeing what I'm seeing and that is is that Stephen Furtick really seems obsessed about preaching about Stephen Furtick and his his Christianity is really devoid of all of the objective all of the objective word of God and history that we have in the Bible, and a new history is being written. It's the history of of the miracles to support the vision that Stephen Furtick got, and all of this is some new subjective religion that that sounds Christianist because Jesus is mentioned from time to time, and and uh, they talk about life change and things like that. And from time to time, the cross and Jesus' death on the cross actually is mentioned uh, as him dying for you, but that's kind of just... Um, the uh, you know the sub point of the sub point, but the main point is Stephen. 
Yeah, it, it's it's kind of the you know the the thin veil to to make it appear Christian. Um, you know, and we open the Bible because we're supposedly a Christian church, but somehow, I mean, it was really, it was almost fascinating to watch how he could have his Bible open in front of him this weekend and yet still manage to segue into Stephen right. constantly. Now, um, it, it was, I guess it's a gift. I now, what do you think that but, like if you're if if a person in the audience is uh, is listening to this these types of sermons on a regular basis, what is their takeaway about what Christianity is about? Well, it's going to be that it's led by Stephen, I think, but you know, that really it's it's inward focused on on me and on myself because my pastor is always talking about himself. Mm-hmm. So I need to constantly be focusing on myself and, you know, what can my version of Christianity do for me then? Mm-hmm. So and, it's um, like... I mean, it, it was... The sermon on Sunday was very motivational if, um, you know, if you were looking to be pumped up, mm-hmm. um, you know, based purely on one man's life experiences. But um, it was not God-honoring or, mm-hmm. you know, Biblical, right? By any means. Okay, so all right, so they they would come away with basically Christianity. It's it's, it's almost as if Stephen Furtick is holding himself up as the perfectly self actualized guy who hears from God, and if you do what he does does and has and can follow the steps that he's taken and and have his audacious faith, then you can too you two can have the same really cool outrageous results that he's had. Yeah, that's definitely the message that he's sending, and and you hit on the key phrase there. That seems to be his catchphrase: "This audacious faith." Yeah, you know that's what he wants to inspire all of us to have. And um, yeah, if if we can do that, and you know, if we have audacious enough faith, then we can be as audacious as Stephen Furtick. Um, yeah, that that really seems to be his version of Christianity. All right. Well, I, I'm just too old and tired to try that out. I'd, I'd rather have, <laughs> I'd rather have just the ordinary kind of Christianity that people have had for like the last couple of centuries. You know, a couple millennia, really. You know, it's <laughs> seriously. I mean, ay ay ay. And uh, it, it's it's almost like he's constantly chasing after the latest wind of the spirit. I mean, it's is what are the name of those folks down in Australia who go on those spirit walks? You know what I'm talking about? It, 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 even the way they picked the uh, you know the Charlotte, North Carolina as the place where they were going to plant Elevation Church, it was like they were on a spirit walk, just waiting for some feeling to burble up from within inside of them that, that they all go. Oh, do you feel that? I feel that. This is where we're supposed to plant the church. I mean, I, I, you know, it's almost like, for lack of a better way of putting, it's like water witching. I mean, why don't they just take a map out and couple you know get a st- couple sticks and see if what happened that way? You know. Yeah, no, that's exactly how it happened, and, you know, they just, I think they said they just drove around the city, and then they just knew, you know, Joe's Crap Shack, the decision was made, and it, there's no uh, there's no prayer involved, there's no seeking the scriptures, it's, yeah, it's, it's very mystical. Very yeah, mystical. right, okay. it's chasing after the subjective feelings of the spirit, and everything, mm-hmm. again, it's it's not grounded in the objective history of what Christ has done for us that's there recorded in the scriptures by the eyewitnesses. We've got a different set of eyewitnesses to a different man of God, 
And all of these things are presented as their own miracles to believe that, you know, see, it works. Stephen is making it work. You can have it work for you, too. And it's weird that Stephen never really actually speaks for himself in this video. Never speaks for himself in this video. It's always his disciples giving testimony to him the same way Jesus' disciples gave testimony to him. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, all right. I just, again, I'm just glad I'm not completely crazy, so. All right, uh, well, uh, Aaron, thank you for coming on Fighting for the Faith on sh- uh, such short notice, and thank you for the work that you do at your uh, at your blog at revelation22-20.blogspot.com. And uh, f- and the work that you're working on there, you know, uh, freelance apologetics for CARM. Anything you're working on apologetics-wise right now that you want to share with us? You know, something, you know, what's in the hopper? Oh, goodness. I, you know, I, I like to just be moved by my emotions and see whatever uh, sends me for the day. <laughs> oh, that was, um, a, oh, man, that was no, bad. You know, I, I kind of, I, I really don't have a list of things that I'm working on specifically. I, you know, have a day job, um, so I kind of have to take things. Um, as I have time, and I'm a student as well, so um, I don't have any teasers right now. Okay. But, um, All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to uh, your your next contributions there, and uh, email me when they come out because uh, you know if 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 the spirit moves me and I I feel it, I might actually you know read it on the air and you know promote it or something. You know. Well, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely make sure that uh, you get a mystical tweet or something. <laughs> Okay. All right. Thank you, Aaron. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. So that was my interview with Aaron Benziger. Uh, and um, I'd love to get your feedback. Uh, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to review Stephen Furtick's sermon at Harvest Bible Chapel up there in the Chicagoland area or Chi Town area. I guess that's how you pronounce it. Somebody said I was too Greek when I pronounced it Chi. It's Chi Town. Anyway. That's a different story. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Wait till you hear this sermon. Stay tuned. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Chris Roseborough here to talk about this month's perk for those of you who are members of the Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. Have you ever been to Walt Disney World or Disneyland and taken a VIP tour of one of those parks? 
Well, if so, then you know just how valuable those tours can be and pointing you to things that you had never even noticed before. Well, this month's resource, Dr. Paul Kretzmann's popular commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, is like a VIP walkthrough tour of the Gospel of Matthew itself. It's fascinating, in-depth, written on a lay level, and it'll help you to achieve a much deeper appreciation and understanding of this vital, vital biblical book. Now, if you would like to get a copy of this, this is only available for our crew members. So the way you join our crew is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. Click on the one that says, Join Our Crew. You're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And once you fill that out, we will send you an email giving you instructions on how to download this wonderful book. So head on over to fightingforthefaith.com, join our crew today, and thank you for your support. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. We're going to do a full-blown sermon review here of us recently preached. This actually a sermon preached by Stephen Furtick just this past week. Harvest Bible Chapel. And I'm pulling out a, a spreadsheet because I, I realize that I'm going to need to um, create a couple of columns on a spreadsheet and calculate some things up. We're going to talked about this earlier, but hang on, let's cue up the sermon review music. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Harvest Bible Chapel. Pastor Stephen Furtick, guest pastor presiding, and the name of the sermon is Perhaps. The text for the sermon is taken from the Old Testament. That does not mean that you don't get to preach about Jesus, but it's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, I think verses 1 through, I don't know, 6 or 7, something like that. I don't know how far he's going to get in this, uh, into it, but we'll take a look at the biblical text shortly. Now, so two things I want you to focus on. Who is he preaching about? And I'm going to prove this mathematically using some metrics. Since the seeker-driven guys keep track of the numbers, well, Stephen, we're going to keep track of numbers here for you. We're going to, we're going to put you on a clock. Yeah, that means that every single time you start telling a story about yourself, I'm going to actually start the timer... And when you're done talking about yourself, self, I will stop the timer. And then I'm going to put that into a spreadsheet. And I'm going to calculate the number of minutes and seconds that you are preaching about yourself. And uh, then I'm going to put a second column together and see how much time you're going to spend preaching about Jesus. Plain and simple metric. Good thing to keep track of. I mean, those seeker-driven guys, they keep track of nickels and noses. They might as well be keeping track of this tally, too. All right, let me, let me kill the music here. So without any further ado, here is Stephen Furtick and his sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, 
entitled Perhaps. Here we go. Uh, by the way, if that, that, that's a motorcycle you hear in the background, and Stephen Furtick is not the one on the motorcycle. Um, that would be uh, Dr. James McDonald um, on a motorcycle. Harley, I think. Hey, Harvest. We're uh, welcoming to our pulpit this weekend Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. He pastors one of the fastest, if not the fastest, growing church in America. He is a young, passionate proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. He is very committed to God's Word. I have had the privilege of pouring into he and his wife, Holly. We find them humble, teachable. When we preached in their church, they welcomed us so warmly. And uh, he's about to fire it up here in a minute. So I want you to give a warm welcome to Pastor Stephen Furtick as he comes to minister God's word to us this weekend. All right, guys, let's fire it up. You. Uh, okay, cue sap- <laughs> sappy music. Stephen Furtick is one of the few guys out there who has the emotionally manipulative sappy music uh, playing at the front end of his sermons. I, I'm not sure where he got this from, but he's one of the few guys that does this. So, uh, yeah, just a reminder, again, I'm going to remind you all that uh, I will be playing this sound when Steve, Stephen Furtick begins to start to preach about himself or Jesus. And then that'll cue me up as to me, the, well, I got to start the timer, and we're going to keep track of how much he preaches truly about himself as opposed to preaching about Jesus Christ. So this is a metric that the seeker-driven guys really need to add into the things that they're counting uh, there in their purpose-driven churches. But uh, here's Stephen Furtick. Here we go. I have a great pastor. I'm going to say that, and you're going to respond the next time I say it. You're going to back me up. You have a great pastor. It's not a bad thing to celebrate that. I think sometimes we think that if we celebrate a leader that God has put in our lives, it's like taking glory away from the Lord. But when I give my children a gift, nothing makes me happier than to see them enjoy that gift, appreciate that gift. And the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4 that it's God that gave some to be prophets, apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers. You know the drill. You guys are like the most Bible literate congregation in this hemisphere uh, because you sit under one of the greatest Bible teachers in our nation. I made a list a while back of my five favorite preachers in America. And... Uh, Pastor James McDonald was certainly on that list. I got to be honest. Oh, man, it's, it's like he's buttering them up. Oh, man. When somebody starts gushing like this about me, I usually look for the knife and I have to look backwards, make sure it's not getting plunged into my back. He wasn't number one because I had a black preacher in the top spot because I like black preaching better than white preaching. I'm just being honest. I liked when the black girl sang better than when you sang, but you were good too. I sometimes think that the Lord. Okay, th- hold on a second here. That he's going to start preaching about himself. So, 
Okay, that, uh, we're going to start the timer right now. He's now preaching about himself. Here you go. The Lord dipped me in the wrong color paint. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I was actually the only white guy in the black gospel choir in my high school. And uh, I had so little rhythm that they had to, they had to build the different uh, marches and, and dance moves that the choir was supposed to do just to accommodate me. But um, but I, I really do consider it a great honor to be. Okay, I'm gonna pa- I'm gonna stop it right there. That was 28 28.7 seconds uh, of him preaching about himself. So right off the bat, um, let me let me make sure we got this here. Twenty. Uh, I'm just gonna keep the. Okay, so I'm gonna make that. I'm gonna round it up. I'm gonna round it up to 29 seconds about himself. Okay, so right off the bat, he he is not in the Bible. He uh, buttered them up about their own pastor, and then now he's preaching about, well, himself to start off with. But, uh, I mean, maybe Jesus will come in a really close second. In your great church, and um, God has given you a great gift in Pastor James and Pastor Kathy. I'll tell you how great the gift is. He came to preach for me a few months ago, and I actually had this thought, I can't bring him in very much. Okay, hang on a second. I'm going to consider that him preaching about himself again. Hang on here. That means, okay, we're going to start the clock here, and now we're timing. Because he just shut it down. And uh, <laughs> it's like you really don't don't want to bring LeBron uh, to fill in for you. And so I would ask you just uh, if we could be cordial together today, then uh, that you would be nice to me. It is no small thing to fill in for the Reverend Dr. James McDonald. And I'm not intimidated because at the same time, whether you like me or not, I have a great church back home and a hot wife and cute kids. I have a six-year-old boy, a three-year-old boy, and I have a five-month-old daughter, our first baby girl, just arrived in the world five months ago. And that's changing my life. I bought my first gun. Uh, I'm not sure how much those two things are connected. But uh, one word that I want to say, and I hope this comes across sincere. Um, I know that sometimes it can come across as self-serving. Okay, I'm going to actually, uh, I'm going to stop the clock here. That um, and take off a couple of seconds because I think he's not preaching about himself at the moment. That was a full uh, one minute and uh, one second of him preaching about himself. So uh, yeah, we're almost uh, we're, we're at like a minute and a half now of him preaching purely about himself. But I, I, I'm going to pause. I'm not going to keep the timer going. I'll wait for him to again tell a story about himself. But uh, yeah, let's continue. Flattering when a speaker spends a lot of time building up uh, either the church or the pastor. And it's like, well, yeah, dude, you have to say that stuff. Um, you know, you have to you have to make those remarks. But from the bottom of my heart, from a guy who doesn't need a gig uh, and from a guy who has been very graced by God at a young age to see a lot of different churches, I really have been looking forward to seeing what Harvest Bible Chapel looks like because I've been out here to visit Pastor James. I participated in, at an event. Now, I know that technically he's kind of preaching about himself, but it's kind of mixed up with him talking about Harvest. So I'll go easy on him and not dink him for this. Uh, that was held here at the church. But I wanted to see uh, what you were like, because your leader has impacted me more in the last year that I've known him than a lot of people have impacted me in a whole lifetime. And just from judging by what 
your leader says about you. He talks about you all the time. It gets kind of obnoxious. Uh, he tells me all about how, how, for instance, worshipful you guys are, how passionate you are. And so I was coming in here kind of trying to bring him down a peg when I call him uh, this afternoon. He's preaching in Dallas, and I wanted to be like, yeah, it wasn't all that, you know, because preachers are kind of competitive. But the spirit of worship uh, with which you guys uh, get after God, it actually challenges me, convicts me uh, about our own church. I grabbed a notebook halfway through the singing and wrote down about four ideas uh, that God was giving me from just watching you worship. And I'm going to take these back home and uh, share it with our staff. Okay, well, it's like five minutes straight here of we, we're not even really into the sermon. I'm not what I'm not sure what this piece of the sermon, the function that it's serving at this point, and the, the sappy music is driving me crazy. And fire somebody or whatever I need to do to make us better. And um, but but what I was saying is, uh, Pastor James always tells me how fired up for the Lord you are and all of that. And I hope you are. You should be. To him who much is given, much more is required. You've been given a lot. You've been given a lot. And I'm not just talking in terms of buildings. I'm talking just in terms of the mantle that God has placed on your church. A lot of young guys like me are looking to your church, your pastor, to help us know how to do it with integrity. I sat with my wife in Pastor James' home uh, the other day. Okay, I'm sorry. He's uh, preaching about himself. Hang on. All right, I've got the timer on. He took me to a Cubs game and uh, treated me and my team like kings and queens. Uh, he's so generous, it's embarrassing. And we sat in his house the other night, and my wife said, first of all, Pastor James is your favorite pastor friend, my favorite pastor friend that you have. I like him better than any of your other pastor friends. And she just doesn't really like that many people, so that's a real compliment, first of all. And she loved Kathy as well. But one thing that was really, really cool for me is just sitting there going, God, can me and Holly do it like that? Can we love each other like they love each other? And I just felt like, you know, even if you think I'm laying it on thick today, you I don't are. really care. I'm getting on a plane in a few hours. Um, I have nothing to prove to you. I wanted to challenge you on two levels today. I'm going to preach a message to you from God's word about faith, trusting God in, in a bold and what I call audacious way, audacious faith. Technically, he's still preaching about himself. Everybody he's preaching about what he's going to preach about. Audacious faith. Faith was never meant to be a drug to sedate you through a life that you hate. It's meant to be a force that transports you to another realm of reality. Okay, I'm going to pause right there. Hang on, I'm going to turn the timer off. I'm going to take a couple of seconds off to be generous here to him. So that was um, that was officially one minute, and I'll take a couple of seconds off. So we'll say one minute and seven seconds of uh, him preaching about himself. Okay, so far, no no preaching about Jesus. Uh, we're hearing a lot about Stephen Furtick and his what's going on in his psyche. God did not put you here to survive the world, but to change it for the glory of God. And when it's all said and done, our... Yeah, you got a verse for that? God did not... Yeah, um, hmm. An unbacked up assertion. God wants you to do something, and, and, and apparently no Bible passages to... But he says that's the truth, But and he hears from God, so we... It must be true. Faith isn't even in our faith. It's in the faithfulness of our God. Actually, it's in Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. Uh, it's actually in a person who, yeah. So I'm going to preach to you about that, but I'm also going to challenge you corporately with some things that 
from one pastor who has been greatly blessed by your ministry, both from a distance and now up close. I've been listening to Walk in the Word for years now, you know, and most of us only get to walk in the Word every once in a while. You guys get to roll around in the Word. It's kind of weird. Uh, Some of us only get to walk in the Word every once in a while. This is coming from a pastor. Uh, isn't Pastor Furtick supposed to be walking his congregation in the Word as a, a shepherd of the under shepherd of the uh, Good Shepherd Jesus Christ? How how is it that he's exempt from you know preaching God's Word every bit as much as um, James McDonald? Hmm. Every single week, I mean, just you guys get to sit on the front row in the Word, and it's a dangerous thing. When you're on the front row of something great that God is doing, did you know that you can actually lose perspective on how special it is? Uh, what? I, I was at one of our campuses. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on. He's, uh, he's preaching about himself again. Hang on. All right, so I got the timer on him. Here we go. A couple of years ago, that was meeting in a high school. And they used to bounce me around from campus to campus, like Pastor James sometimes goes from the campuses to the other campuses. And by the way, uh, if you don't give me love, I'm going to tell him the other campus is better than I was at last night. And he'll never come back again. So it's up to you. Um, But I was at one of our campuses, and the music was playing, and I was so frustrated because I couldn't hear any of the words. Does that bother y'all when you can't hear the words? And I actually saw here at Harvest, you guys have... Um, these drum cages that like the drummer is isolated in a cage fit for an animal at the zoo so I guess that's like we want to hear the words not the drums but I promise I'm going to get to my scripture in a minute y'all are like is this guy going to preach the bible or just talk well I'm going to do both if that's okay we're going to take it's not really your job pastor your job is to preach the word but go go on ramble away and talk about yourself take our time and get to know one another we're just dating right now this is just courtship but uh, I was fussing at our worship pastor. I said, I couldn't hear the words. And he said, that's interesting. I was at that same worship experience, and I could hear it just fine. I said, um, you're wrong. If, if you and I disagree, you're wrong. Praise the Lord. I couldn't hear the words. Therefore, the words were not able to be heard. And, uh, and he thought about it for me. He said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where were you sitting? I said, I was sitting on the front row, you know. Sitting where I always sit on the front row, in my little seat on the front row. And he, he, it was like a light bulb went off, and he goes, Ah, that's the problem. He said, Because of the way that the speakers are positioned at that particular campus, there's actually a dead spot on the front row where the speakers are kicked all the way out to the sides. And then if you sit on the front row, the sound shoots right past you, and you actually can't hear as well as people in the back of the room can hear. And then he said something to me that really summed up what I think happens in a lot of great churches. He said, there's a dead spot on the front row that we need to fix. Now, isn't that so true when you're a part of a church that sees so many people come to Christ and so many people discipled and so many marriages healed and addictions broken? And men- Okay, I'm going to actually uh, take him off the timer here. Hang on a second here. That was another two minutes and 15 seconds preaching about Stephen Furtick. Okay. No appearance of any preaching regarding Jesus yet, but, uh, you know, I'm sure Jesus will come in really close second. Really, 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 really close. Ministry that goes forth and covers the globe. Isn't it true that sometimes there's a dead spot on the front row? 
and what some people... I have no idea what he's talking about. People are tuning in to listen to on the radio every week. You kind of take for granted. And so here's what we did in that situation. We went and got a front-filled speaker to sit right there on the front. Hang on a second here. He's preaching about himself again. Sorry, sorry. And here's what we did. He's more about his life. Okay. On the stage. And those front fill speakers now hit the people on the front row right in their face so they'll never miss it again. Can I tell you, I feel like the Lord sent me to harvest this weekend to be a front fill speaker for you. And just. Uh, really? Okay. Just to remind you, this is not normal. This is special. This is incredible. This is a move of God. Okay, um, hang on a second here. Calculating this up again here. That's another um, 22 seconds preaching about himself. Okay. The Lord is doing awesome things among you. Come on, you ought to celebrate like you believe it. Don't let it be a dead spot in the front row. Is there anybody in here? Why on earth would anybody be clapping about this? I mean, if, he took an analogy from a, basically an anecdotal story, story in his life, and now he's turned it into something that everyone's supposed to clap about. And they're clapping about themselves. Okay. That agrees that this is a special move of God and the Lord's presence is here in a powerful way. Let me hear what it sounds like when all of Harvest gives God praise for the great things that he's doing. Is there anybody that knows that if it had not been for the Lord who was on your side, you wouldn't be here today? Is there anybody grateful for his mercy and his grace and his glory? And okay, so we we're hearing a little bit about Jesus here. I'm going to give him credit for this. Hang on a second here. So uh, talking about Jesus' grace and his glory, that, I guess I would talk about Jesus. Hang, hang on a second here. So I'm timing. Keep, I, I'm going to give him credit for something about Jesus here. His protection and his power and his spirit that is among you mightily. Okay, got to stop the timer here. Hang on a second here. Okay, that was a total of four seconds. Um, Hold on. Four seconds about Jesus. Okay, and now he's going to sing to us. Okay. You do miracles so great. There is no one else like you. No one else like you. Sing it. You gotta sing it. I'm gonna sing in tongues or something. Come on. There is no one else like you. Yes, Jesus. There is no one else like you. All right, I'm gonna give him credit for the song here. That's another 35 seconds uh, uh, in the Jesus category because he's singing about Jesus. There's no one else like him. Okay. Clap your hands one more time. Thank you for your presence, your spirit. I want to ask you to remain standing for the reading of God's word today. If you're not standing, what's wrong with you? Get up on your feet. Somebody next to you didn't stand and punch them in the nose or something. I want to share with you from 1 Samuel chapter 14. Please get your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. Okay, now I'm going to pause right here. We're going to do a little bit of Bible teaching ourselves. Please go to 1 Samuel chapter 14. And I'm going to do something that Stephen Furtick didn't do in this sermon. And I'm going to read to you and teach to you 
this entire text to kind of point out the fact that uh, as Stephen uh, preaches from this particular Bible text, he misses a very important character, a mucho importante character. And so let me, if you've got your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1, I do teach from the ESV, the English Sanctified Version. That's what I call it. That's not what it is, but that's what I call it. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 1. Here's what it says. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the priest did not know that Jonathan had gone within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison. There was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other. The name of the one was Bozes. The name of the other was Senna. Uh, the one crag rose in the north in the front of Michmash and the other in the south in the front of Geba. Jonathan said, by the way, I think uh, Bozes and, and uh, Sinai, I think one's like uh, thorny and the other is slippery, something like that. Anyway, uh, the, the one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the, f- in, on the south in the front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come... Let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Now that's where um, Furtick ends the story, but there's more to the story. It's important that you get the whole story in. Let me keep reading. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. Now, I'm going to... The reason why this is important is is that Jonathan is is not in the uh, in the mindset of being presumptuous. Okay, instead he's actually saying, okay, we're gonna you know let's let's do this thing, but let's first make sure that the Lord intends for us to win the battle. That the that the Lord is going to give us the Philistines. He's going to give the Philistines into our hand, and that we will be successful into this in this endeavor. And so they come up with a test, a sign. And in, on the one hand, if the if the Philistines say one thing, they know that God has no intention of uh, of giving the Philistines into their hand. And and on the other, if the Philistines say a different thing, then God Himself is going to win the battle for them and give the Philistines into their hand. Now, that being the case, the key figure, the one who really wins this battle, it ain't Jonathan, and it ain't his armor bearer. It's the Lord. This is a story about what the Lord does, okay? Now, so then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over. Okay, we got that. Um, Verse 10, But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them 
showed themselves to the garrison of the, Phil- garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming up out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Okay, who who did the giving? Well, the Lord did. This is a story of what the Lord has done. So Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer uh, killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor bearer made uh, killed about 20 men, thin as it were a half a furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among the people, the garrison, and even the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. So who won this battle? God did. God is the one who gave, gave the Philistines into the hand of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Now, it, I, mean, I mean, just do the math, okay? You've got an entire garrison of Philistine soldiers, and two Israelites, and only one of them has a sword. Yeah, that's kind of the other piece of this. One of them has a sword. Yeah, it's obvious that the Lord is the one who won this battle. Now, the Lord is the one who doesn't really get the credit in um, Stephen Furtick's telling of the story. In fact, Stephen Furtick takes the story, allegorizes it, and makes it about, well, himself. Uh, it makes it about you, makes it about me, but it's not about what the Lord did. It's about, you, you'll see for yourself. Anyway, here's Stephen Furtick again. As we speak on the subject of audacious faith today, First Samuel 14, 1 through 7. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to backfill the background of it. Bible says in 1 Samuel 14, verse 1, says one day, everybody say one day. One day, day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migrant. And with him were about 600 men, among whom was, and then there are a bunch of names that I feel very intimidated to pronounce in Hebrew in James McDonald's church. So I'm going to skip them, but I could pronounce them, but I'm not going to. We're going to go to verse four. There was a lot of people there and they were the leaders of Israel. (laughs) Verse four, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz, and that means slippery in Hebrew, and the other Sinat, which means thorny in Hebrew. And one cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. And Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And let's take this as our final verse. Verse 7, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. 
Lord, move mightily now through the preaching of your word. I'm your instrument. God, I pray that you would give me pinpoint accuracy. Help me to speak with such specificity and clarity that it would be a word in season for this church. I stand on what your word says in Isaiah 55, that your word never returns to you void. Like the rain falls from the heaven and waters the earth and causes it to give forth its fruit, so shall your word be that proceeds forth from your mouth today. It will not return to you void. It will accomplish what you sent it to do. It will change our lives, increase our faith, and glorify your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray and believe. And everybody said together real loud at the top of your voice, a big harvest. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Before you take your seat, turn to somebody next to you and tell them, you look like you've been working out. You like that one? (laughs) You may be seated. Oh, my God. Thank you so much, Dan. This passage begins with this, this simple phrase, one day, one day, Jonathan did something for God that changed the... Uh, <clears throat> no, one day God did something for Israel through Jonathan. Big difference, big difference. Yeah, God's missing in his telling of the story. He sees only the humans, apparently. course of the direction of an entire nation. God's people were in trouble. They were hiding under rocks and in caves, in bushes and even in trees. They were down to one sword in the whole nation. The Philistines, the enemies of God had beaten them black and blue and they were terrified. And they really didn't know what to do about it. So much so that the leaders who should have been leading the charge to fight God's battles were hiding and perhaps waiting for divine intervention, perhaps waiting to die, perhaps they'd given up. But one day, one man named Jonathan was overcome and overwhelmed with this sense that if God is for us, he's still more than the whole world against us. And so, yeah, that's correct. The Bible says one day he got up and he took action. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you the end of the story. Jonathan and his armor bearer go on to kill over 20 Philistines in that one attack. And it becomes the fulcrum on which the entire battle begins to shift. And the nation was saved because of one man's. No, 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 no. Because the Lord gave the Philistines into the hands of Jonathan. And uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer checked with God before they launched into the attack. Faith on one day. And the reason I wanted to talk so much about those two little words, one day, is because I believe in the power of a moment in the presence of God. Because you believe in the power of a moment in the presence of God. Somehow I don't think that's why this text was inspired to be written by the Holy Spirit. But let's hear what you got to say. I believe that one moment in the presence of God can change your life more than a lifetime of human activity apart from his presence. And the reason I believe that, probably one of the reasons I believe that, is because when I was 16 years old... Hang on a second here. Yep, uh, we're now officially preaching about ourselves. Here we go. I gave my life to Christ in a moment. The Lord changed my heart, changed my life. I was one of these church kids who had a form of godliness but denied the power of it. 
And so my relationship with the Lord wasn't real to me until one day I heard the gospel preached, walked down the aisle, gave my heart to Jesus Christ in a Baptist church. And one day my life was changed. And then one day this pastor, Pastor Mickey White, who is still one of my great heroes and someone I'll honor till the day I die. I believe in honoring pastors. You see what I'm saying? That's why I don't get up here talking about James. For me, he's Pastor James. He's Pastor James to me. If he corrects me, I'll listen. He's a great man of God. When I sit down with him, I'm like, if I'm doing something stupid, please tell me because I respect you. I, re I hope James takes him aside and tells him, that, yeah, it's really not a good idea to be preaching about yourself. Respect what you have to say. So Pastor Mickey was like my first pastor who ever started leading me spiritually. And if he told me to read something, I read it. So he gave me this book by a pastor that you're probably familiar with, Jim Cimbala pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. He's, he, he, he was probably the first pastor who had ever read a book about all the great things God had done in their church, in their city, and I was mesmerized by it. All the accounts of, of addictions that were broken and lives that were restored. And so I read that book, but when I got to page 23 on that book, and I remember the page number, I remember the sentence, I remember where I was sitting, yeah, I remember you telling this story like, you know, four or five years. I've heard you tell the story many times. Weird. There was a line in that book that said this, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without God moving greatly on our behalf. And as a junior in high school in a little small town called Monk's Corner, South Carolina, when I got to that line on page 23, I knew in my heart that God wanted me to step out one day and start a church in a major city somewhere in the United States of America to reach people far from God. I didn't know anything about church planting. The only church plants I was familiar with were like the ferns and lilies that the Women's Methodist Union put on the stage around Easter. I didn't know anything about purpose-driven church or seeker-sensitive church or Bible-based church. I just knew I loved God, wanted to do what He called me to do, and I read one sentence in a book on page 23, and I had my page 23 moment where I said, God, I'm going to lead, I'm going to follow where you lead, I'm going to go where you say go, I'm going to do what you say do, here's my life, use me. I believe in the power of one word from God. I believe in the power of one moment in the presence of the Lord. And so one day, this could be that day for some of you. Okay, I'm going to stop the clock there. We are at uh, 2 minutes and 52 seconds. Hang on a second here. i got to tally this up. That is a, how, that, that last illustration where he's talking about himself. Took that amount of time. Okay, so hang on a second. Two minutes and... Whoops. Sorry, hang on. 2.52. Okay, got it into the spreadsheet. And uh, right now, we're up to a whopping... I, I'm serious. Whopping uh, eight minutes, six seconds uh, of him preaching about himself. And uh, 39 seconds, uh, Jesus' honorable mention. That's where we are so far with this sermon. Uh, okay, let's continue. For a teenager who's trying to decide whether to keep themselves sexually pure. For a dad who isn't leading his family spiritually and you're just letting them get beat to a bloody pulp 
by the devil. And today could be the one day that you stand up and say, not on my watch, devil. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm not letting you have my kids without a fight. We stand for righteousness. We stand for holiness. We are the Lord's temple. And we shall not be denied. One day, all right? One day, Jonathan has this crazy idea, says it to his young armor bearer, his bodyguard, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side, but he did not tell his father. You don't always need somebody to, to blow a trumpet every time you do something for God. Some of you volunteer. Every time you do something for God. Yeah, when, we re- when I read the passage, the, the entire thing, God is the one who did the, uh, uh, the miracle. Um, Phil, if you were to ask Jonathan today, did you win the battle or did the Lord give you the Philistines? Because based on the text, I would have to come to the conclusion that Jonathan would say the Lord gave us those Philistines. Hmm. Here's need to hear that. Nobody appreciates me. Who are you serving? Nobody, nobody pays me back. I do so much for other people. Nobody pays me back. Honey, if, if you're trying to get your reward from other men, you're waiting around at the wrong window to get paid. Your reward comes from the Lord. So Jonathan, with no fanfare and no top-down initiative, you know what this church needs? More people who will step out and give and serve without even having to be asked personally to do it just because it's the right thing to do. Now, you got a lot of that going on already, but a lot of you, I, I want to say, what in the world are you doing sitting in one of the greatest churches in this nation and you don't serve, you don't really give sacrificially, you tip God? What are you waiting for, a personal meeting with the pastor? Pastor James told him to say all that before he came out. Yeah, I don't even think he knows these people. And um, by the way, um, the Bible clearly teaches uh, that uh, the good works that we do in light of the gospel are things like um, love our neighbor as ourselves by being a good dad, being a good mom, being a good husband, being a good child, being a good student, being a good employee. See, every one of the people there at James McDonald's church on that particular Sunday um, had just spent an entire week serving their neighbor in their vocation. How come that doesn't count for nothing? I didn't ask his permission. Sometimes it's better to ask forgiveness. I didn't tell him what I was going to preach. I'm just preaching. He ain't here. I'm saying whatever God puts on my heart to say. And I'm- yeah, you're not supposed to do that either. You're supposed to actually correctly preach the word. And it uh, doesn't look like we're on our way to that being the case. I want to say to some of you, you need to quit waiting around for an opportunity to serve God. And just serve God because you love him. And just serve God because you're called. And just serve God because he's been so good to you that if he never does anything else, he's done enough because he sent his son to die for you. Now, now, now that was the gospel. Now, I, I, hang on a second here. I, I got to flip over to a different page for my sound bites here. That was a full-blown, for-real gospel nugget. Yes, Jesus died for you. Thank you for letting me know that, Stephen. Maybe you should make that like a main point uh, in the future when you're doing your sermons. Uh, But I'm glad we got to hear it. Uh, Let's continue. So Jonathan sets out one day and gives this idea to his armor bearer. And uh, he bypasses all the people who are like those of you who show up here with a feed me, bless me mentality. You hadn't invited anybody to church. That's Whoa, boy lost and far away from God in two and a half years. You sit there with a bless me if you can attitude. And I can spot y'all when I stand up to preach. 
you know, the majority of this crowd, you're warm, you're friendly, 80% of you, you're like, man, bring us God's word, we're ready. I've never yeah, seen- I, I'm ready, you going to bring it? I mean, because, you know, you read uh, like half of a story, you're kind of omitting like the major part, you know, the part about God delivering the Philistines into the hand of uh, in of Jonathan, his armor bearer, you know. Anything more notebooks and pens ready to go? I don't think I'm saying anything worth writing down. I haven't seen them move a lot, but you're ready in case I do. <laughs> And that's a blessing. But some of y'all, I can feel it. It's like, and it's not, it's not just a personality thing. It's like an attitude that gets into churches sometimes. It's like, yeah. I know, this is 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan Armour. Yeah, kid. And you even, the, my age has been messing with you. And you think my jeans are too tight. And why does... Okay, hang on a second here. Now he's steered into preaching about himself again. Hang, hang on a second here. Got to start the clock. Here we go. You have to roll them. Can he not afford some that are the correct length? And why has he got his button button to the top? What are you worried about what I'm wearing for? What's your problem? Why don't you just come in here with the mindset? It's not about me. It's not what I can get out of it. It's what I can give back to the Lord. Okay, hang on a second here. I gotta shave off a couple of seconds off the clock here. Hold on. Uh, that's a full blown 14 seconds. Uh, yeah, okay, so there we go. 14 seconds into the spreadsheet. Got it. All right, let's continue as he chews them out. And yeah, hey, Stephen, you know, I know you just kind of sort of in really fast passing mentioned that whole gospel thing. Don't you think that uh, you might want to elaborate more on what Jesus has done for us? Because uh, I think about the passages, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Or, you know, Romans 12, therefore, in light of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. You see, when we get to the second half of those epistles, those are really kind of like gospel imperatives uh, uh, or gospel exhortations in light of the gospel. I think if you spend a lot more time focusing on what Jesus has done for us, I certainly think that people might respond in repentance and faith and, 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 well, ask God to forgive them for their wickedness and selfishness. You see what I'm saying here? Instead, this is kind of just like a verbal lashing at this point. We continue. Sacrifice. This is your church, God. I'm not going to sit around a pomegranate tree with the 600 losers who are, who are criticizing the people who are doing the real work for God. And so he bypasses all of them and he finds this one man, everybody say one man. And the Bible describes what they had to go through to get to where God was calling them. In verse 4 it says, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. That's dangerous and treacherous in and of itself. But the fact that one was called Bozes, and I told you that means slippery, and the other Sinat, and that means thorny, that, that to me is a great mental image of what you have to go through to do anything great for God. Oh, man. And that's not why the passage was written that way. Whether it's serving in his church, whether it's raising godly children, whether it's building a business for God, whether it's standing for Christ in your school. Why why don't you give us an example from your own life, Stephen, you know, how this all plays out. If you're going to do what God has called you to do and, and, and follow where Jesus has led, it's going to involve the Via Dolorosa. That means way of suffering. It's a thorny, slippery place. He called me to take up my cross and follow him. 
I did a sermon in my church last week called... Uh, that, hang on a second here. That's official. He's uh, now preaching about himself. The timer is on. Follow. And I talked about Twitter. How many of you are on Twitter? Would you raise your hand, please? How many of you are not on Twitter and you think that the people who are on Twitter are twits? Would you raise... <laughs> Amen. I got on Twitter a couple years ago because they told me I could encourage my church with, like, inspiration and that I could... I could find out what my staff was really doing if I got on Twitter. I said, sign me up for the Twitter machine. I'm going to get on the Twitter machine. And I've been on Twitter now for like two years and I'm addicted. But I told our church last week, I said, a lot of us follow, follow Jesus like a lot of middle school girls follow Justin Bieber on Twitter. Now, just because he mentioned Jesus doesn't mean he's actually preaching about Jesus here. You click a button and you're like, okay, I'm going to pick and choose what I want to obey. But how many of you know that to be a follower of Christ means even through the slippery, thorny places? I, I have this problem in my city where I have a lot of church hoppers and church shoppers. Still preaching about himself. I'm going to pause the uh, the uh, audio here. For, I just want to point something out here. We pick and choose what we want to obey. Um, you know, if I were to uh, uh, just take a little inventory here of your life, Stephen, using the Ten Commandments... Uh, How's that working out for you? Are are you perfectly obeying the Ten Commandments? Hmm? Maybe I should uh, point out the fact that maybe you're guilty of picking and choosing those commandments that you want to obey. Hmm. You know, uh, anyway, well, let's continue. And it's like, okay, we're going to be a part of Elevation Church until you say something that offends us or makes us uncomfortable or demands something from us that stretches us. And I'm like, where are the followers who will go through the slippery, thorny, places you know personally speaking let's get off the church thing some of you are going through a slippery thorny passageway okay hang on a second i'm gonna i think he's kind of steered into preaching about them rather than himself so i need to tally this up here uh that's gonna add another one minute and 27 seconds of preaching about uh well stephen furtick so far let me uh, uh, you know we are a little past the halfway mark in the sermon and Stephen Furtick has preached about himself for nine minutes and 47 seconds and actually legitimately said anything really about Jesus for 39 seconds of this sermon. Um, so there you go. Okay, that's where we're at right now. Stephen is off to a blazing start preaching about himself. Preaching about Jesus? Yeah, not so much. Uh, let's continue. Right now in your life, maybe you have kids who are wandering away from God. And although I may not be qualified to speak to that, like my kids watch Backyardigans. I'm not dealing okay, with... Okay, hang on a second here. He's uh, he's preaching about himself again. Uh, the timer is on. ...but then wanting to go to parties yet. So I just acknowledge that. But on the authority of God's word, I can tell you this, that if you will follow Christ... Okay, hang on a second here. I'm going to pause it again. That adds another eight seconds about himself. Hold on. Okay, eight seconds about Stephen Furtick. Let's continue. With, with full devotion, he, he knows how to lead through slippery, thorny places. Just stay planted in the house of God. Stay rooted. Yeah, notice the complete allegorization of the biblical text at this point. Sands like the important stuff, 
like the that you know Jonathan and his armor bearer first inquired of the Lord whether or not the Lord was going to give the Philistines into their hand, and then they acted because it was God gave them a sign that He was going to give the Philistines into their hand, and then God gave them the Philistines into their hands. Yeah, God was really, really, really active in this passage, and he kind of just chopped that part of the story out weird. Let's continue. Rooted in the word of God. You need to tell the devil this morning. I talked to the devil. I don't know if I'm supposed to, but I do. Oh, man, he's talking about himself again. Hang on a second here. He's on the clock. Just want to let you all know. Here we go again. Jesus' name. And I tell the devil, I I I don't care how thorny or slippery it gets. I might be uncertain. I might not be able to see my way clearly right now. But the Bible says that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's not a floodlight so I can see to the end. It's a lamp so I can see the next step. So I'm just going to keep stepping, even if it's thorny, even if it's slippery, even if people misunderstand me. Even- Isn't that weird how um, yeah, he's turned this text about what God did in Israel with Jonathan and his armor bearer, and now he's allegorized it so he can make it about himself. Yeah, that's not how you're supposed to handle God's word, by the way. And if I don't know where the provision's coming from, come on, somebody. I'm going to keep stepping. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, even when it's slippery, even when it's thorny. You followed your father to a brutal cross where they barbarically, savagely murdered. Okay, now hang on a second here. I got I to. Okay, hold on. He's talking about Jesus here. Hang on a second here. I got to tally this up. That was 45 seconds about Stephen Furtick. Let me back the, uh, the time up here for a second. And let's let's stop that. Good. And I'll give Jesus here at least two seconds lead time. All right, he's preaching about Jesus right now. Hang on. You for me, I'll follow you anywhere. And then Jonathan gives what uh, has... Okay, that was quick. That was three seconds for Jesus. Hang on, three seconds, oh, three whopping seconds for Jesus. Jesus is up to 42 seconds. Stephen Furtick, uh, 10 minutes, 40 seconds. Okay. ...to be one of the worst motivational speeches in the history of warfare. Watch this. This is horrible. Now, part of it is good, and I'm actually going to show you the good part, and then I'll show you the, the part that is, is questionable in terms of motivating people. You know, he's got this armor bearer, this bodyguard. He's trying to talk this guy into following him into a slippery, thorny place, and when they get there, they're going to be outnumbered by the enemy, under-resourced, and outmanned, and outgunned. And he's got to convince this guy to go on this mission with him. Now, as I said earlier... We learned that there's only one sword left between all of the Israelites. Saul has one under a tree. Jonathan has one. Saul's not doing anything with his. Jonathan's got a sword. And this armor bearer has to make a decision. Am I going to follow this leader? Now, in chapter 13, Jonathan led an attack. You can go read this, your Bible people. Read chapter 13 this week. Read it when you get home today. Jonathan led an attack that went so badly that the Israelites ended up in hiding in chapter 14. And so that's the track record that the leaders got. All right, well, let's, let's read chapter 13. Right? At, least, at least take a look at that, uh, that particular part of the event. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, let's, let's read that and you know, just take a look so we understand the context here. Apparently, this is important for understanding that the armor bearer really shouldn't be putting too much stock in um, Jonathan's motivational pep talks. Okay, so uh, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse uh, 1. Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel 
2,000 were, were, were with Saul in Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Okay, so Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines at Geba, and he defeated them. The Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear... And then all of Israel heard it and said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And then the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand on the seashore in the multitude that came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble for the people were hard-pressed. The people hid themselves in caves and holes and rocks and tombs and in cisterns, and some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan and the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed and trembled. Okay, well, uh, yeah, I'm the way I'm reading this text here is that uh, Jonathan attacked a garrison of Philistines in one... And uh, and if I'm reading the story correctly, then the Philistines um, counterattacked with 30,000 men and things didn't go so well. It's not exactly the way he's describing it, but okay. And there's one sword between us. And if you're the prince and I'm your bodyguard, guess who's going to get the sword? Not me, you. So if you're going to talk me into that, you better have something strong. So let's see how Jonathan plays at verse 6. Yeah, he just eisegeted that into the text. Um, yeah, notice that none of those thoughts that uh, that um, Stephen Furtick projected onto uh, Jonathan's armor bearer were there. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Here's the good part. I love this. This is good preaching. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now, 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 that's a great hinge for, like, you know, preaching the full-blown gospel to everybody in the congregation there. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. Oh, boy, that, you just steer right into the cross with that statement. Don't you love that? That fires me up. That's what I stake my life on. I got seven families. Hey, hang on a second here. He's preaching about himself again. Uh, so rather than preaching about Christ and the cross, we're now preaching about Stephen Furtick. Here we go. Seven families to sell their houses and quit their jobs and move to Charlotte with me five and a half years ago, believing nothing is impossible with God and there's got to be more to life than filling up a 401k and buying a boat and dying one day. Let's make a difference for God. This world is going to hell. This nation needs a generation to rise up and proclaim Jesus. And Yeah, when are you going to do that in this sermon? You're proclaiming yourself. Um, let's continue. Nothing can stop God. And let's do it. And let's go for it. And I, I think when you come to church every week, you should hear preaching like that. Still preaching and about himself. Thankfully, you do. Some churches where I'm preaching, they don't get much of it. And in this church, every week, you have someone who stands up in front. Okay, going to stop, stop. He's steered into preaching about them rather than Stephen. So hang on a second here. That was a full-blown 38 seconds more about Stephen Furtick. Okay, um, tally so far. 11 minutes, 18 seconds of Stephen preaching about himself and 42 seconds officially of him saying anything significant about Jesus. He had a passage there 
where talking about nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, and he decided to use that as an opportunity to talk about himself uh, rather than Christ. Weird, don't you think? Of you, and Pastor James has this weird way of slapping you across your face, and then you say thank you for it as he's doing it. Have you noticed that? It's like he simultaneously shows you how far you have to go, and then at the same time he's showing you that since Jesus is in you, you already have the power to do it in his name. And it's a rare thing to have a preacher who can do both of those, you know? Well, when you're in here and somebody like Pastor James or even maybe a guest speaker like me who does a decent job and doesn't fumble the ball, we're up here and we're like, nothing can stop God. Now, technically he's preaching about himself, but I'm not going to count this one because it's too short. You can do it for Jesus. The glory of the Lord is upon you and the spirit of the Lord is within you and nothing is impossible. You can make it. You can do it. And you're like, yeah, I can do it. I'm broke, but I can do it. My kids are crazy and demon possessed, but I can make it. My wife hates me, but I'm going to stay mad. But here's the part a lot of preachers don't talk about. Your pastor does, but a lot of preachers don't. And I want to point it out because Jonathan does all that. Nothing can enter the Lord. Let's go. Let's move. Let's attack. Let's raise the money. Let's do the building. Let's change. Uh, let's raise the money. Let's do the building. Uh, well, that's technically about himself. I'll give him a couple of seconds. I'll dink him for, for like four seconds there. Hang on. He's preaching about himself again. There we go. Let's raise the money. Let's do the building. Let's change the world. Let's large harvest Bible chapels on other planets. We're going to Jupiter. Yeah! Kind of creepy. Cause remember the audience of one uh, segment we did a few months ago? <laughs> We're going to Jupiter. Okay. That's great. But here's something else he said, all right, that I want to point out. He says this in verse 6, part, part A. After he gives him the idea, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. He says this. Perhaps, put it up there on the screen. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Now, just between me and you, Superman, if you're trying to talk me in, to following you on a suicide mission and there's one sword and you've got it and I don't and you didn't even do that good last time in chapter 13 you better stick with that nothing can hinder the Lord stuff and you better leave that perhaps alone because if you're going to get me to follow you into a potentially deadly situation you're going to have to do better than perhaps isn't that funny because when I read the text um, Jonathan did a lot better than perhaps. He said, let's, let's, if, if this, we'll go show ourselves. And if the Philistines say this, then we know that God's not giving them into our hands. But if they say this, then we're going to attack because we know then that God is giving them into our hands. God, the Lord giving. Yeah, he, weird. Um, so here he's turned this into some kind of psychological, motivational speech kind of thing. And he skipped all the relevant information, and the point he's making is actually resolved in the text because Jonathan gave his armor bearer far more than just a perhaps. They uh, they inquired of the Lord, and God answered them, and they knew that God had given them the Philistines. Isn't that weird that he left that part out? I, I think that's weird. Perhaps. Hey, man, let's lay our lives on the line, and we're going to see God move, and we're going to kill those Philistines, I think. That's anticlimactic. 
<laughs> I love it because that's... Yeah, even with a maniacal laugh, that wasn't the climax of the story. You left out the climax. Yeah, Stories build, and, and that whole story, it's like... Stephen, I don't know what you were thinking when you chopped it off at the end of verse 7 there, but... You know, that the idea when you tell a story, you know, you kind of lay the groundwork, you know, you got your antagonist and you got your hero and 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 then you know the, the story builds and and then there's the then there's the climax, the conclusion, the cataclysmic event and then you got your resolution and and you cut it off before we even got to the you know the best part of the story. Maybe the reason why you stopped where you did what you did is so that you can make it about yourself rather than about what the Lord did. You know, I'm just thinking here out loud. What real faith is? Faith isn't the absence of fear and ambiguity. It is clinging to a God who is certain even when my situation isn't certain. Now, I agree with this definition to a point, and this is not a bad definition of faith. Uh, faith is being sure of what we hopeful, hope for, certain of what we do not see. Faith always has an object. The object of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised again for your sins and for your justification. And so, yeah, I'm certain about Jesus. So if you're going to really preach about faith, you need to preach about the object of our faith. Yes, yeah, there's other circumstances and things like that. And see, and I can take that and I can go, I can apply this correctly and go, okay, here's the deal. Okay, Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again for your justification. I understand that today you sinned. I've sinned. We've all sinned. And so when we look around our circumstances, look around us and we look within us, we don't feel like we're saved. We don't feel like we're justified. And everything in our experience experiences, we are damned sinners. But Jesus Christ shed blood on the cross, conquered sin, death, and the devil. He did it for you and calls you to trust in him despite what you see in yourself, you are. Our, are forgiven. You are a blood-bought son and daughter of Jesus Christ. You, you get what I'm saying here? A blood-bought son or daughter. Yeah, kind of. Anyway, so, I mean, he could be making that point if he was really preaching about Jesus, but since he's preaching about himself, he kind of misses the point. We continue isn't certain so it's like on one hand i know god's promise he's promised to save he's promised to heal he's promised to deliver he's promised to be with me but on the other hand i'm not so sure about myself but faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen so god even if i don't see it i believe it even if everything in my life is screaming perhaps i believe your promise and here- yeah, the, the problem is, is that he's kind of turned this into something about just temporal circumstances or whatever. Here's the word I wanted to leave with all of you today. Maybe you got a doctor's report in the last month. Maybe you've got a kid who, who you, 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 they went to middle school and, and enough said. You got a middle school kid. I don't even need to elaborate on that. Maybe you're in a lonely situation right now. Maybe you're single and you thought you'd be married and everybody else has got a ring and you don't have a ring. Here's the deal. Um, maybe you're a sinner. Maybe, yeah, and see, that's the thing is, is that when we apply the gospel correctly, the correct diagnosis that the gospel addresses is the fact that each and every one of us are rebellious sinners uh yeah they were dead in trespasses and sins we disobey god and as a result of that we have earned god's wrath um this little narrative about maybe you have kids that are 
in junior high school. We all know how tough that is, those of us who've had to parent children through that experience. But see, the thing is, is that that's see, my problem isn't that I had kids in junior high or that there's been times in my life where I've been lonely or that I've received diagnoses from the doctor that haven't exactly been the greatest. Um, you know, I haven't been diagnosed with anything terminal. You know, I could be suffering from that. Who knows? But uh, the point of the matter is, is that, um, you know, my problem is, is that I am a sinner. When I look at God's law, when I look at the Ten Commandments, the uh, the, the the reflection I see in the mirror that comes back to me, it's it's well, um, pretty really badly, obscenely, grossly wretched and damnable, and. And when if you were rightly handling law and gospel, that's the thing that you'd be pushing for because faith is the is the, is being sure and certain of what we hope for, you know, certain of what we do not see. And what is it that our faith tells us? What does the Christian faith teach? Not that God is going to necessarily get us through the temporal um, problems that are the consequence of our sin on this side of Christ's return and the resurrection. Uh, each and every one of us is ultimately going to die. I mean, you know, so uh, regardless of whether or not your children are well-behaved, whether or not you're doing well at work, whether or not you're lonely or not, you've you got a date with death, and you're going to stand before the one true God and give an accounting of your life. And if you stand before him in your righteousness, the verdict that's going to come back from the heavenly throne is, guilty. But see, the good news is that Christ standing in our place on the cross became the sinner for us, right? That he, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You know, that's what the passage says. And so the idea is, is that Christ is our substitute. The full wrath of God was poured out on him for you, for me. And we are called to repent and be forgiven to repent and have trust in Christ that the verdict that he that we that we hear from God is not guilty but pardoned that we are not guilty on account of Christ because his righteousness his act of obedience is imputed to you as if you are the one who lived it now see this the biblical gospel is so much better news than this stuff that he's preaching which is so man-centered and really doesn't exalt Christ or glorify him correctly at all. I mean, well, I, <clears throat> again, I'm I'm convinced that Stephen Furtick would would be kind and generous enough to Jesus to let Jesus open for him if if he was uh, holding a rock and roll concert. But you know, Stephen Furtick gets top billing. Maybe it's been three years since your business has been profitable. Maybe you have no idea what's facing you on the other side of the challenge you're going through. But here's the word of the Lord that I left my church in Charlotte, where, by the way... Uh, here we go again. Uh, he's preaching about himself. Sorry, hang on. Uh, all right, got to start the timer. Here we go. They're baptizing hundreds of people today. Like you guys do the spontaneous baptism. We're doing that this weekend. And I was watching them on my phone backstage before I came to preach to you. But it was worth me leaving them to come tell you this, this one truth, okay? And here it is. Hold on to it for, 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 for years. Okay, hang on a second here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause there and tally up the seconds. That was another 19 seconds about Stephen Furtick. We continue. To come. God's promise is bigger than your perhaps. Great. Why don't you tell me what God's promise is and use the Bible to do it? 
so we keep his word in our hearts and we keep it in our mouths. We lift our eyes to the hills from whence cometh our help. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's right. He said he would not suffer my foot to be moved. The Lord which keepeth me, he'll not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is my shade upon my right hand. The sun shall not smite me by day or the moon by night. He shall preserve my soul even forevermore. My help comes from the Lord. Okay, now, now I'm going to give him credit for I'm going to I'm going to credit that to Jesus' account here. Hang on a second here. It's another 24 seconds for Jesus. Good. And in him there is no perhaps. In him there is no shadow of turning. You say, well, pastor, uh, pastor preacher boy, youth pastor man, guest speaker dude. Uh, I've seen some people who believe God's promise, but it didn't come to pass. What do you say about that? Well, here's what I say about that. Number one, I don't know what to say about that. Number two, he's God, I'm not. Number three, since I can't be him, I may as well start trusting him. Number four, if God won't let you see the miracle, he'll enable you to be the miracle. And if Yeah, you got a passage for that that says if God won't let you see the miracle, you'll be the miracle. Any verses that say anything like that in the Bible? I mean, here you're just making all these kind of unbiblically grounded assertions. I mean, kind of sound like slogans or bumper sticker kind of stuff, but I, I don't recall any of these uh, slogans being taught in the scriptures. He doesn't do what you're asking him to do. He will give you the strength to stand up under it in a way that will cause the watching world to know that he is God. And beside him, there is no other. My grandfather was a preacher. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. We're talking about Stephen Furtick again. All right, they got the timer on again. Hold on. All his life, he watched his wife die. Uh, a slow and painful and demoralizing, dehumanizing death from Alzheimer's for 12 years. He watched her slip, 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 slip. Many of you have seen loved ones, moms, dads, friends, family go through this process. He would sit by her bed and comb her hair in the nursing home for hours on end and tell her how beautiful she was and she would tell him how much she hated him because she had lost her mind. You would ask my grandfather, how are you doing? You know, because that's what we do in the South. We ask everybody, how you doing? We don't care, we don't wanna know, we don't really wanna hear about it, but we ask you how you doing. And when somebody tells you how they're doing in the South and they complain and then you say, bless your heart, that doesn't really mean bless your heart in the South. I don't know if you know, I'm going to translate for you. I'm going to give you some southern, some, some southern vocabulary here. When somebody from the south tells you, bless your little heart, what they mean is, you stupid idiot. That's what they mean. Bless your little heart. Bless your heart. Well, my grandfather, he wasn't the complaining type. He'd be like, you'd be like, how you doing, Papa? Now, his wife's dying. He's got health problems. He's praying. He loves God. He serves God. And, and nothing is changing. And you'd ask him, how you doing? And he'd say, he'd say this every time, 100%. 100%. They've both gone to be with the Lord now, and, and my grandmother was never healed and all that. And I thought a lot about it, you know, like, I actually felt like maybe my grandfather was dishonest or being super spiritual, you know, because he'd say 100%. And I'd look at him, and he wasn't 100%. He wasn't even 10% of what he used to be. And one day I was kind of praying about this. This was actually recently. I was praying about this, and I was like, God... On one hand, it's really admirable that my grandfather would say 100%. On the other hand, it feels like a total lie that he would say he's 100%. He wasn't 100%. I saw him. He wasn't 100%. And one day, it's like the Lord spoke back to me in my heart. 
Okay, so he, of course, it makes perfect sense. I mean, he sees, he gets visions from God, and God talks to him directly to his heart. It depends on what you're measuring. I, I, did you write this down, Prophet Stephen Furtick? I mean, we got to make sure that this is get add, gets added to the Bible. I mean, God spoke to you. If you're measuring his circumstances, he's far from 100%. If you're measuring his confidence that one day all things will be made new and that one day he'll have a body that can never be racked with pain and he'll cry no more, neither will he hunger or thirst anymore, he's 100%. And that's a direct word from God, apparently. Jonathan said, I... Okay, gotta, gotta stop right here. Just, uh, hang on a second. He just stopped preaching about himself and is now preaching about Jonathan. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, so we're going to add another two minutes and 44 seconds uh, to uh, the tally here. Let me give you uh, the, the mathematics. So Stephen Furtick, in this sermon so far, we're about uh, three-quarters of the way through it now. Uh, 14 minutes, 25 seconds for Stephen Furtick, one minute and six seconds to Jesus. And I was being very generous in giving him the Jesus stuff. Okay, we continue. No God can do this. I have no doubt about his ability. Nothing can hinder the Lord. And I'm pretty sure he will. And that's the way that you're going to have to live if you're going to live by faith. When preachers get up and they say, God's leading us to start this new deal and to do this new initiative. And, and I, I've heard from God. I know I've heard from God. Well, we're not lying when we say that. Mm. But the fact is, when we say we've heard from God about something and it's not like directly in the Bible, uh-huh. thou shalt not kill. I'm sure about that. Uh, preach the word in season and out. I'm sure about that. You know, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm sure about that. That's in the Bible. But yeah, and notice, we can trust the Bible with 100% certainty. I agree. This is why I don't really need uh, to hear from anybody else but God's Word. When it comes to other things, can I tell you something about me as a pastor and your Please do. I mean, you've been preaching about yourself for quite a bit this sermon. Pastor, too, because I know him. And he ain't here to defend himself. When we say... I've heard from the Lord. I know I've heard from the Lord. What we mean is I'm about 55 to 60% sure. I'm flip a coin. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you familiar with the biblical uh, standards for a prophet? It's not 50 to 55 or 60%. It's 100%. I mean, seriously, if we're going to just flip a coin to decide whether or not the pastor's really heard from God, yeah, you know, a chant that automatically he falls into the category of false prophet according to the biblical standard. The biblical standard is 100%. It's not 50. It's not 55, and it ain't 60. It's 100. Just sure enough to take the next step. And that's what faith is, my friend. Faith isn't, isn't for, for you to... For you to finish, faith is given for you to get started. God is the author and the finisher of my faith. Faith is trust in Christ. Faith always has an object. And what does Christ promise in his word? He promises the forgiveness of my sins. He does not promise that I can get behind a a vision-casting a narcissistic uh, church leader, and that the, and he'll see things through. I mean, w- what on earth? I mean, notice he's 
he's taking faith away if, from the certain thing. Because he pointed out the fact, the certain thing is God's word. God's word, the thing I can put my faith and trust in is Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. But Jesus doesn't promise that, uh, well, he's going to guide my pastor via a vision so that I can hop on board and be part of something bigger that supposedly, quote, changes the world. So God doesn't call me to have the faith to know how it's all going to work out. Hey, let's go over there. Let's trust God. Let's see if he's in this. And I know he can do it. And I think he will. And I thank God for the armor bearer, okay? Because I've been setting you up this whole time. Jonathan isn't the real hero of this story. Yeah, that's right. It's the Lord. Because yeah, remember, it, Jonathan checked with the Lord. I read the passage and the, the entire story, the parts that you left out. And Jonathan said, if the Lord is giving us the, the Philistines or giving them into our hands, they'll say this. So the hero is not Jonathan. The hero is not the armor bearer. The hero is the Lord. Is that what he's going to say? Not on your life. Let's continue. Jonathan isn't the real hero of this story. Jonathan isn't the one I really came to you to preach about today. His little schizophrenic self giving some weak motivational speech with some dumb plan after he has no track record of being able to do anything for God as a military leader. Yeah, it's funny because in chapter 13, the chapter you told us to look at, it does say that he defeated the garrison of the Philistines in chapter 13, too. This armor bearer, what a guy. Look at his response. Okay, you've got a bad plan. You've got a bad past history. Um, your credit rating has just been reduced. You're isogeting now, not exegeting. I'm current. I'm relevant. I'm, I'm modern. The nation has just had our credit rate. We ain't even got a sword. All right, and you're talking about perhaps, maybe, I know your ESV Bible that you all read because Pastor James makes you all read the ESV Bible. I know, I, I read the Devil's Bible. It's, it's worded a little bit different, the NIV, please forgive me. But in your Bible, it says, it may be. Doesn't it say that? It may be. Here's what I wanted to ask Harvest Church today, and I'm about to close with this. Do you have enough faith in God and what he's promised and what he said and what he's called you to do and be as a church? To step out on a maybe and say, I'm with you heart and soul, God. Whatever you call me to do, I don't need all the facts. I have my faith. I don't need all the facts. I have your faithfulness. I don't need all the facts. I have your word. And I'm going to stand in what you've So what do you think God's calling Harvest Bible Chapel to do that everyone needs to step out on faith for? Hmm? I mean, they've got a building. They got a pastor, and he preaches the word. Hmm? Said, regardless of what I see. I love that armor bearer. It, 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 really, it really blesses me to think about because, you know. Yeah, I, I love the Lord in the story because the Lord's the hero. Isn't that interesting? You know, the, the Lord is the hero of all of the stories in the Bible. Weird how he misses that. Those seven families I told you about who? Oh, here we go again. Hang on a second. He's, he's got to tell more stories about himself. Hang. All right, timer's on. Who started the church with me, sold their houses, quit their jobs. One of the guys who is actually the first guy to agree to start the church with me. He's here with me. His name is Chunks. He's sitting right here on the front row. Travels with me almost everywhere. His name is Chunks. I don't know if you missed that. Stand up real quick. Wave at the people. Have a seat. You know, even the fact that he's here with me, it's a great picture of what I felt like the Lord wanted to challenge 
you to do today. What I felt like the Lord wanted me, wow. Is that if this church is going to continue to be, and I'm done. Okay, hang on a second. He stopped preaching about himself again. Hang on, I got to tally up the, uh, got another 34 seconds here of Stephen Furtick preaching about Stephen Furtick's experience. Okay, we're up to 14 minutes, 59 seconds for Stephen Furtick. One minute, six seconds for Jesus, and that's me being generous. Let's continue. Talking about you personally now. I'm on a bigger thing. I'm talking about this church. If this church is going to be what God has called Harvest Bible Chapel to be. and I, You mean they're not already what God has called them to be? God has called them to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and has called James McDonald as the pastor to preach the word in season and out of season. Um, uh, They're not doing that? No, you think you've... They're not making disciples. They're not baptizing. They're not preaching the word. They're not proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins. That's what God has called them to in the thing that we can be sure of, the, the written word of God. We continue. If this church is going to be what God has called Harvest Bible Chapel to be, and I know you think you've done something great, and God has done great things through you, but in the scope of the need of our world and our nation, you've only just begun. I talk to your pastor all the time. I tell him, Pastor James, I think God brought me in your life just like he brought you in my life. He brought, he brought you into my life to give me the wisdom to know what to do. He brought me into your life to keep you dumb enough where you don't know what can't be done. Because there's something about youth that just keeps you raw and real. And so I'm telling him all the time. I'm like, okay, hang on. He's preaching about himself again. I, I... Gonna add about six seconds there to his tally. Can't slow down now, and I don't know how well you know him, but that's not really part of his personality anyway. But here's the thing. Okay, okay I'm gonna I'm gonna add six seconds. Uh, just another six seconds to uh, Furtick's uh, already significant uh, preaching about himself. And all you cynical people can take a nap. All of you who think I'm just saying this because, you know, I get a cut of the offering if I talk good about the pastor. Yeah, there he goes again, preaching about himself. Uh, hang on. You know what? You're going to hell anyway. I don't even know about you. I got no time for you. I'm talking to the, I'm talking to the real people. Yeah, I said that. That's what you can do when you're a guest preacher and the pastor's in Dallas while you're preaching. You can do all that you want. There would be no Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. We baptized 1,426 people last weekend in 24 hours. Preaching about himself. There would be no that if there hadn't have been a bald-headed chunks who said to me, your plan sounds crazy. You want to start a church, you don't even know where. You've never done this before. I mean, I just, you don't know where, how you're going to pay me. You don't know if you can ever give me a salary. You have no idea, no connections, no funding, no experience. I'm in. <laughs> Heart and soul. Yeah, notice that in his telling of the story now, uh, well, Stephen Furtick is Jonathan, and Chunks is, uh, well, um, his armor bearer. Isn't it fun what you could do when you allegorize the text? You can make it say just about anything you want it to. It's all about Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick, the son of the king. And he and his faithful armor bearer, Chunks. Huh. Heart and soul. Wonder what the future. Come up and play, Dan, so I'll start shutting up. I'm out of time, and I need some help closing. 
I wonder what. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. That is officially 53 more seconds in the Stephen Furtick preaching about Stephen Furtick category. We're up to 15 minutes, 58 seconds for Stephen Furtick. At one minute, six seconds for Jesus. The future of this great ministry would be if God would raise up today. And some of you are already there, and I thank you, because it's because you are with your pastor. Cue sappy music again. And your leaders and your church heart and soul, that churches like mine are able to grow and be blessed and stand on your shoulders and see what you've done and aspire to do it. And I partially just wanted to say thank you to all the heart and soul people in the house who have been faithful in your in your giving, in your serving, in your praying, in your speaking well, in your... Why don't you talk about how faithful Jesus is and everything he's done for us? That might, be, that might help. Unity, I, I wanted to thank you on behalf of about 9,000 people in Charlotte, North Carolina, who are better off because of our relationship with you. I'm, I'm your crazy cousin that you didn't know about till today, but you... Preaching about himself again. Crazy cousin. You got it. Okay, I, I, I am, I'm recording. Yeah. You're going to be stuck with me. I'm coming back. I'm going to come back a lot. <laughs> I wouldn't be clapping you know, for that. I just could not help but think that there are hundreds of you and thousands across the campuses this weekend. Okay, I'm going to pause there. I'm going to I'm going to just add another 10 seconds of him preaching about himself. Okay, 15 minutes 58 seconds. Well, let's continue. Who need to say in your heart to the Lord and to your leaders what the armor bearer said to Jonathan or maybe renew that some of you may have gotten cold in your commitment you just sitting on the front row dead spot on the front row and it's time for you to say to your pastor to your leaders to your elders but mostly to the Lord we're in this heart and soul when I asked you earlier how many of you were on Twitter um, I had a little bit of an ulterior motive. I thought it'd be cool while Pastor James and Kathy are preaching in Dallas. I thought it'd be cool if when you leave today, don't do it while I'm preaching, I'd be highly insulted. But I thought it'd be cool if you took out your phone and got on Twitter or your Facebook wall or whatever you do and send a tweet to Pastor James and say, just say this, say, I'm with you heart and soul, Pastor. It'd just be a great thing to hear. You know, because sometimes as a pastor, I don't think my church knows what kind of faith I have to fight in order to lead them. You have no idea the price that is paid. Okay, hang on a second here. He's preaching about himself again. Ah, okay, gotta, gotta, gotta. here we go. For your church to be what it is today, most of you will never see that. But it's the people who will say, come hell or high water, whether we succeed or fail, rise or fall, doesn't matter at all, we are with you, heart and soul. You say that sounds like a cult. No, to me, it sounds like unity in the body of Christ. Okay, hang on a second here. I got to make sure I tally this right. Um, that's really only about 14 seconds of him on himself. Okay, um, yeah. Um, and that, yeah, uh, Stephen, yeah, that, um, yeah, and that, that's great. Um, but the, the passage of uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer isn't about you saying, making a commitment to be behind your pastor's vision, heart and soul. Um, that's really stretching the, uh, 
the mayonnaise too thinly on that sandwich, if you know what I mean. Yeah, the biblical text can't be used to to support this this point at all here. Um, to say wherever God leads, we'll follow. Heart and soul. I want all. Yeah, the job of the pastor is to serve the people in the congregation. That's his job. He's a servant. He's there to serve them by giving them God's word and uh, and the sacraments. Um, that's the job of the pastor is to serve. Um, not for people to get behind him, and and you, you get what I'm saying. A completely different concept here. The heart and soul people in this church to stand to your feet as I close. Can I get my heart and soul people to stand on your feet? People who say we're grateful, God. Why don't you just Why don't you just turn your palms upward to heaven like this? Would you do that and just begin to say out loud right there in a whisper if you want to? Just say. Lord, I thank you. I I praise you for letting me be a part of a great church at this time in history. Thank you for planting me here, for putting me here. And first of all, Jesus, I want to thank you for your faithfulness to my life. Because without you, where would I be? Wait, wait, wait. That's he's talking about Jesus. Hang on. Uh, here, here, here we go. We got the Jesus timer going now. Without you, I would be nothing. Without you, this church would be nothing. Without you. That doesn't really count. He's kind of mixing it. We would have no hope. But because of you, because you went to the cross. Wait, wait, wait. He's talking about Jesus again. Hang on. Hang on. There we go. Heart and soul for us. Now we get to pour our lives back out for the sake of your church. And it is a great honor. Man, hang on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I think, uh, yeah, that only counts. Three seconds for Jesus there, and it was a gospel nugget too. So I got to do this. Hang on. There it was. Uh, but it, yeah, that was kind of quick. And because uh, Jesus poured out His life, now we got to pour out our lives. That's really not the gospel, though. It's a privilege. First, we want to say to you, Lord, that we're with your purposes in the earth, heart and soul. You said you'd build your church, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we claim that promise heart and soul and God we also want you to raise up hundreds more people in this church or maybe some people who have been under the pomegranate tree um, any of you folks there in Chicago own pomegranate trees uh, apparently it's not a good idea to be hanging out underneath them again it's amazing what you could do when you allegorize a text isn't it I want to ask today that they would be like that armor bearer for their pastor for their leader for this church even even now they make the commitment Whatever God asks of me, with my words, with my prayers, with my deeds, with my service, with my giving, heart and soul, heart and soul. Raise up a church of more and more heart and soul people so that around the world, the heart and soul of the gospel can pulsate and permeate. Our- if you want the heart and soul of the gospel to permeate, why don't you preach it like as like the main, the main point of your sermons? Hmm? broken world for your glory and honor we pray and we thank you god for jesus who is our jonathan uh boy that's um uh, yeah i i know i'm sorry that's just i i know he biffed it there um yeah i i understand your anger um you know put the torches away um Wow, he just said Jesus is our Jonathan. Wow. 
<laughs> and he just like and the weird part about that particular metaphor is is that just minutes ago Stephen Furtick likened himself to Jonathan and Chunks as his armor bearer. Creepy. Uh, no, Jesus isn't our Jonathan. This, the the role of Jesus in the story that uh, Stephen Furtick didn't tell the whole story for there in First uh, Samuel chapter fourteen, playing the role of Jesus was the person in named the Lord. Yeah, the, uh, Jesus is God in human flesh, and so Jesus didn't play the role of Jonathan in that story. Jesus played the role of God. You you got it. Uh, Man, this is what happens when you when you're so used to preaching about yourself rather than Jesus. You kind of miss the whole point of what Jesus was really doing in the story. Isn't that weird? Who one day went to the cross and who on the third day rose from the dead and who has made a way for us to access you today, Father. Okay, hang on a second. That's a that's a full-blown 7 seconds of Jesus talk. Okay. And who has recreated our hearts and is recreating our souls. And today, we worship you. The Hang on, three more seconds. I'm going to add three more seconds. We're up to one minute, 19 seconds for Jesus. Risen, reigning, King of kings, Lord of lords. And with all of our hearts and with all of our souls. Hang on, five more seconds for Jesus. I'm being generous here. We say, yes, Lord, yes to your will. Now he's preaching about himself. We say, yes to your way, yes to the gospel, yes to sacrifice, yes to service. We are with you, heart and soul. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Okay, he gets one more second for in Jesus' name. All right, so there's a, there we go. Okay, total... Sermon's done here, so um, the the sermon's really about 49 minutes long, and so we got 16 uh, 16 minutes and 32 seconds for Stephen Furtick, and one, (laughs) this is just pathetic, one minute and 25 seconds for Jesus. So um, let me, hang on a second here, I'm going to just get my calculator out and just kind of do the comparative work here. Um, let's see here. Yeah, because I, I God didn't give me with gift me with any math skills. <laughs> I I skipped the math line when they were handing out math skills. Uh, let's see. So I'm gonna go basically 1.5. You know, that's roughly what it is. I'll round up. Take that divided by that. Okay, got that. Next, this divided by that. Okay, okay. So here we got it. All right. So official tally. Okay, of the sermon that uh, Stephen Furtick preached. 34% of this entire sermon was about Stephen Furtick. 34% and 3% um, was about Jesus. 34% for Stephen Furtick. 3% for Jesus. Who was the sermon about? It was about um, Stephen Furtick. Not surprising at all. And that is what's wrong with his preaching. Complete mishandling of the biblical text, not telling even remotely the entire story. Turned it from a God-centered story into a man-centered story. Allegorized it, eisegeted, made it about himself, preached about himself. And in the end, we didn't hear anything even remotely resembling a proper handling of God's word that exalts Christ and what he's done for us. Yeah, um, that is what's wrong with Stephen Furtick. It's that Stephen Furtick keeps getting in the way of Jesus. 
so um yeah what'd you think you know I'd, I'd love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can ask to be my friend on facebook it's facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or you can follow me on twitter my name there pirate christian till tomorrow may god richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by jesus christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins amen <laughs>